Binge Mode Star Wars is presented by State Farm. You know those days when it feels like problems just pop out of nowhere? Sure do. The helpful folks at State Farm do. Like a fender bender. We're already late. Or a thief breaking into your home and making off with your new flat screen TV. Or perhaps breaking into your moon and making off with your entire way of life. Luckily, there are more than 19,000 agents who are there for you. Because when it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are ready to help. Find an agent today at statefarm.com. Chewie? Chewie, is that you? Chewie! Can't see, pal. What's going on? Pinch Road, I heard it contains adult content and spoilers. What else does it want to be? A, a Jedi Knight. I'm out of it. For a little while, everybody gets delusions of grandeur. And now, Binge Mode. No. Go. Leave me? No, you're coming with me. I'll not leave you here. I've got to save you. You already have. Look, you were right. You were right about me. Tell your sister. You were right. Hey there. Yes. Just kidding. Hey Yeah! <laughs> Welcome to Binge Mode Star Wars. Proudly a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, editor-in-chief of TheRinger.com. Great website. It's just great. It's fantastic. Let me look at it. <laughs> Joining me today, now that he's finished letting the hate flow oh! through him, it's Ringer Senior Creative, your Jedi Master, Jason Concepcion. Man, I'm afraid this podcast will be quite operational when your producer arrives for Binge Mode Star Wars. Where we're exploring the wider Star Wars universe. From the Skywalker saga films to the anthology films to the Mandalorian plus numerous other facets of a galaxy far, far away, all leading up to the release of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker on December 20th. Good, good, good. Please make the journey to Jabba's Palace with us by subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us. Give us those five-star ratings. We'll knock you into the Sarlacc pit. Where you will be digested for a thousand years. Mortifying way to Your go. pain will be immeasurable. Your mortification, doubly immeasurable. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans, which is an excellent place to share your favorite memories of Salacious B. Crumb. And please head to theringer.com slash shop to check out our brand new binge mode merch. If only Leia had some on Tatooine. Uh, I wish. Last time on Binge Mode, we explored how Revelation shaped the 1980 masterpiece, The Empire Strikes Back. And today we're diving deep. 
deep. <laughs> Good, it's deep. <laughs> <laughs> Into the final installment of the original trilogy, 1983's Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. As always, spoiler warning. We will be going deep on details from this film and the entire Star Wars saga to date. Take an official canon and legends hashtag not canon into account. So convince the Ewoks that your pal's a god. Because it's time to head to Endor. Mal, together again. Wouldn't miss it. How we doing? Same as always. That bad, huh? Well, we better offer up a brief refresher on what actually happens. Returning the Jedi by heading to a podcast studio far, far away and queuing up the opening crawl. Yes. Yes, yes. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Ewoks! Just kidding, not yet. Darth Vader arrives and the unfinished second Death Star to oversee the final stages of construction. The project's lagging. Come on, guys. Behind schedule and the Emperor is displeased. He's got a lake house on Naboo to visit. Hurry up! Vader tells the terrified commander that the Emperor will be arriving shortly. We'll redouble our efforts. Why did you say so? <laughs> Meanwhile, on Tatooine, a succession of allies is captured trying to free Han Solo from the carbonite clutches of Jabba the Hutt. R2 and 3PO enter Jabba's service as droids. Leia becomes a slave bound to the crime lord by a chain. Chewie becomes a prisoner along with Han, who is unfrozen by Leia but remains in captivity. But it's all part of a grand and, let's be honest, needlessly complex it's a plan from Luke. Way too many moving pieces here. <laughs> who arrives at Jabba's palace, defeats his guards, and survives a brawl against a rancor. Angered at the death of a treasured pet, and who wouldn't be? Jabba decides to have Luke, Han, and Chewie cast into the Sarlacc pit. There, Luke springs his plan with some help from R2, naturally, and Lando, disguised as a guard. At the end of a chaotic skirmish, Jabba's dead, strangled by Princess Leia. Ice, give us the opposite of nose for Jabba. Yes! He doesn't deserve our honors. Yes! 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 For Jabba! Fuck him! I knew he was a buster when he let Han step on him. Boba Fett has also been cast into the poisonous guts of the Sarlacc, and our heroes are free. The Emperor arrives on Death Star 2, otherwise known as the Deuce. He knows that <laughs> Vader... <laughs> he knows that Vader wants to continue searching for Luke. However, the Sith Lord is certain that Luke will seek him out instead. And when that happens, the now powerful Force Wheeler must be turned to the dark side. On Dagobah, Luke has a final conversation with Yoda before the wise Jedi Master... 900 years old, mm. takes his rest and becomes one with the Force. Ice, give us some heartfelt. Yes. 900 second long. <laughs> Maybe nine second long. Yeah. <laughs> no. no. For Yoda, whom we've been harsh with a time or two, but ultimately we love. Prequel Yoda was tough. Jared. Original trilogy Yoda is a masterwork. Then, Luke chats with Obi-Wan's Force Ghost, who explains the truth behind Luke's connection to Vader and tells him, by the way, you have a twin sister, and yes, she's the one you've been trying to fuck. He doesn't actually say that last part, but Luke knows by instinct That's right. His, that his, it's Leia, the one woman in the galaxy. The rebel leadership briefs the fleet. They are to destroy the Deuce, 
currently under construction. <laughs> and the plan calls for two strike teams, a ground-bound force led by Han, Chewie, Leia, and Luke will infiltrate the forest moon of Endor to take out the energy shield generator protecting the deuce. <laughs> when the shield is down, fighters led by Lando Calrissian flying the Millennium Falcon will engage the battle station and destroy it. On the moon, Leia gets separated from the team after a high-speed chase with Imperial scouts, and she's found by Wicked. Oh. An Ewok native. A delightful. A delightful. Ewok. Searching for Leia, Chewie finds traces of something else. Some meat that, frankly, looks delicious. And yes, it's on a stick, and it's an obvious trap. And he's fuck <laughs> it, Chewie's hungry, and he's earned a meal. He's just like, we haven't had lunch. He has earned a meal, okay? <laughs> he grabs at the carcass, triggering that, which captures our friends in one neat package. But R2! Always the hero. It's always him. <laughs> he's crushing it. Continues to crush it as the narrator would. Saws them loose. Only to find that they're surrounded by fierce Ewoks with little pointy sticks and little cute faces. Look at the puppies. They will eat your internal organs, so oh, be careful. So I know they are. Looking so at the puppies. Everything changes once the Ewoks see 3PO, <laughs> who they view as a god. That's all great, except they want to eat his friends as part of a celebratory banquet. Listen. You looked at Han lately? I know. Who wouldn't want to? Let me just say this. A little I, taste of that. I have seen in certain <laughs> I've seen in certain places where the 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 Ewoks are called cannibals. They're not cannibals. This right. is a different species. Exactly. They're eating a animal they caught. It's like a hamburger. That's yeah, fine. Luke uses his force <laughs> powers. It's a hamburger. It's a hamburger. And their reverence for C3PO to free the gang, though by terrifying them with magic. R2 takes his revenge by shocking the nearest Ewok. Luke speaks to Leia to share their family news at long last. She tries to talk Luke out of facing their father, but Luke is convinced that he can turn Darth back to the light, back to being Anakin. Luke surrenders and is brought before Vader, who takes him to the Emperor. And the Sith Lord is delighted, (laughs) eager to continue Luke's training and turn him to the dark side. And he reveals that I know all about your pitiful little bend. He knows all about the attack. He set this up! Mm. Down below, Han and his strike force infiltrate the shield base. The Emperor's crack troops show up and all are taken captive. Shocking. Up in space, the rebel fleet comes out of hyperspace. But Lando realizes that something is wrong and he calls off the attack ships at the last moment, but just then, the Imperial fleet emerges from hiding on the far side of Endor. What is it, Akbar? It's a trap! I love it! Mmm, delicious. <laughs> Let me lick your webbed hand. <laughs> All seems lost, but the Emperor is not the only one who can design a trap, folks. What about those Ewoks? They strike and overwhelm the troopers. A warhorn echoes across the forest, and suddenly Ewok arrows are raining indiscriminately, we must say, on the Imperials. The rebels take advantage of the chaos and are quickly free and rearmed. But the Ewoks can't contend with the ATSTs. No weapon they have seems capable of even scratching them. Meanwhile, wait till they hear Cara Dune's. Yeah, well, t- meanwhile, Han Lei and a few soldiers are pinned down in the entrance to the base. And up in space, the Emperor plays his final card: the Death Star. The Deuce, though not yet whole, is fully operational. With one blast, it smashes a Rebel cruiser to bits. Luke, watching the situation unfold finally snaps. He pulls his lightsaber to him and strikes. But Vader, saber parries the blow. And the Emperor is gleeful. (laughs) Luke and his father duel. 
On the moon, the Ewoks and Chewbacca gain control and begin taking out the chicken walkers. Using a ruse, Han manages to get back into the shield installation. His forces take the Imperials prisoner and wire the base to blow. High above the moon, the rebel fighters streak into action the moment they realize the shield is down. On the Death Star 2, Darth taunts Luke, saying he might have to turn his sister to the dark side instead. Never! Luke battles Darth with terrifying ferocity, battering his father to his knees, then slicing off the cybernetic sword hand. The Emperor claps and urges Luke to kill Darth. Good, good, But good. Luke, gazing at his own black-gloved hand, will not. He throws away the lightsaber. Unfortunately, if Luke cannot be turned, you must die. The Emperor unleashes powerful force lightning, frying Luke. In agony, he begs his father, please. Darth gazes at his son, then at the Emperor, then at his son, and then he picks up the Emperor and hurls him down a seemingly bottomless shaft. And the Emperor dies. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see what the Rise of Skywalker brings. Luke takes off Vader's mask and gazes upon his father's face. And then Anakin Skywalker takes his last breath, looking at his son. No! no! For Anakin. Give us a little hesitant uncertain no no for palpy the rebels target the death star 2's generator and the massive base explodes forever extinguishing life on endor no and the massive <laughs> base explodes ewoks and humans celebrate on endor luke sees his father join yoda and obi-wan as a force ghost and the galaxy gets lit we so free <laughs> jason yeah your thoughts betray you, co-host. Good. good. I feel the good in you. Well, the conflict. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's search our feelings and use the force. The defining theme of this episode is... Redemption song. Redemption! <laughs> Redemption! Let's set up the big picture. New director for this installment of... The original trilogy, the final installment of the original trilogy, Richard Markand, was tapped to helm the film. Empire Strikes Back director Irv Kirshner said in a 2010 Vanity Fair interview that he turned the movie down. Quote, after working for two years and nine months doing Empire and having it take so much out of my life and having given me so much, I felt that it was a complete experience and it was time to move on. Just like Lucas after he did A New Hope. He's like, I'm good. <laughs> Created from a screenplay written by Lawrence Kasdan and Lucas. Yeah, Lucas, back in it. Back in it. The uh, movie was a hit. Made $253 million domestically and $375 million worldwide in its initial release. That's in 1983 dollars, folks. After re-releases, it's up to $309 million domestically and $475 million worldwide. That's good for 17th all-time domestically adjusted for inflation for reference that's sandwiched between Avengers Endgame and the original Jurassic Park. Wonderful. How about the reception? Well, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 94% from the audience, but a dip among the critics, 81%, well below. I loved the marks it's for a great movie. I don't care. A New Hope and Empire in the original trilogy. It got four stars from Roger Ebert, who wrote, quote, Return of the Jedi is fun, magnificent yes. fun. You know what? 
I agree. He's right. He's fucking right. The movie is a complete entertainment, a feast for the eyes and a delight for the fancy. It's a little amazing how Lucas and his associates keep topping themselves. Now, topping themselves, I think, is where you lose me because this is not a better film than Empire or Correct. A New Hope. Correct. When he re-reviewed the series around the time of the prequels, Ebert reconsidered a bit, noting that he still felt that the film, like its predecessors, was, quote, done so superbly that they transcend all genres and become a reverberating place in our imaginations. But he added, specifically of Return of the Jedi, quote, if I had to choose, I would say that this is the least of the Star Wars That's films. fair. It lacks the startling originality of the first two. It's more concerned with loose ends and final resolutions. That's, that is correct. Yep. Many other reviewers liked it, even if they found it lacking compared to Empire and found it a satisfying conclusion to the trilogy. We have to check in with our old friend, iconic film critic, Pauline Kael yes. from The New Yorker, though. Remember, she legitimately hated it <laughs> in regards to A New Hope, and she actually did like Empire, but not Jedi. Quote, Return of the Jedi is an impersonal and rather junky piece of movie making. Every time there's a possibility of a dramatic climax, a chance to engage the audience emotionally with something awesome, Marcan trashes it. And what appears to be indifference, it may just be a weak visual imagination. Damn. She continued criticizing the scene in which Luke sees his father's face for the first time. Quote, even the scene that should be the emotional peak of the whole mythic trilogy has no thrill. Man. There isn't a gasp to be heard in the entire theater. Luke looks into the eyes of his nightmare father and he might be ordering a veggie burger. Wow. That is Fucking savage. Shots at vegetarians <laughs> and this scene. Yeah. Un Unnecessary. Like vegetarians getting hit in the fucking crossfire. Like what? <laughs> she hated it, folks. Impossible burger, though. Try that. Oh, I love an impossible Unbelievable. burger. Wonderful. Try it. And how about the fan response and the legacy? Because the fan response, the critical response, and the legacy are all sort of tied up as sure. one. This for is, sure. and not for everyone, obviously. We're not going to paint with too broad of a brush or, or make any kind of blanket generalization. But for many, yeah, many people are saying, Jason. They are. <laughs> many are saying this. It's the least good one of the original trilogy. Now, I, mean, that's I think fair. we are, we are uh, both yeah. very fond of it, very uh, partial to it, really enjoy it. It's a great movie. It. There's a lot in it to love. I agree. It is certainly not Empire Strikes Back, which is a masterpiece that altered right. cinema and Star Wars, as we've discussed. And it's not A New Hope, which revolutionized yes. what genre storytelling could be, what the technology of cinema could be. It's well-liked, in other words, but sure. it is not cherished and it's not revered. That's correct. Certainly, it has its critics, most pointedly, criticisms of the Ewoks, which were seen by some as a cynical merchandising dollars grab. Mm -hmm. And I think to a certain extent that is true. Although you'd also have to point at like everything that had come before it as a merchant, you know, the entire series had revolutionized merchandising. That's it. First real moment of questioning Star Wars and measuring it against what came before rather than just purely right. celebrating the spectacle on the screen and being in awe of it. And some of that is because it's not possible to always just build on something that's already that Correct. titanic. But part of it is just that it had the really unenviable task of following Empire. It's hard to imagine that anything could have followed Empire and earned total adoration in response. But regardless of how you felt about the individual film, it was also... The third installment. It was also the conclusion right. of the trilogy. It was a part of a whole. And in that sense, you have to, of course, applaud the part that it plays in 
this historic moment in time in storytelling. As usual, our dude, Dennis Murin, creative director at ILM, coming through pod after pod here with the insights and the pearls of wisdom, put it really well. In Conversations, the effects, a featurette on Return of the Jedi, spoke broadly of capping this really astonishing saga. Quote, you could put up a map of the globe, throw a dart, wherever you went, they would have heard of Star Wars. And that's really cool to think about. Truly an amazing achievement. And it's what Lucas wanted in a 1981 interview with Carrie O'Quinn in Starlog magazine when asked if the film would wrap up the trilogy. Quote, yes, definitely. And whether there would be a cliffhanger this time, George said, quote, no cliffhanger. The original idea kind of got segmented and the fact that the story is a fairy tale kind of got lost, especially in the beginning because the science fiction took over. I kept saying, don't call it science fiction. (laughs) He hated it. He fucking hated it. I think that revenge, for better or worse, is going to put the whole thing in perspective. We'll we'll explain later why he's calling it revenge. I don't know whether people are going to like it that much. But the truth of it is... (laughs) George, never change! But the truth of it is, that's the way the film was originally designed. I think people have perceived it And here, Here the seeds of (gasps) infinite tinkering are being planted. I think people have perceived it sort of different from the way it really is. And in this one, it becomes obvious what it was all along, which essentially is a fairy tale. Let's talk about the film itself. So one year and only one year of canon chronology passes between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But Luke's progress in that time is immense. Yes. We have discussed in both our New Hope and Empire pods the hero's journey and the influence of the hero's journey on these movies. And we will start by reiterating a point that we made in both of those podcasts, that the monomyth template can shrink to fit each individual movie in the series or swell and stretch to cover the saga as a whole. But it can often prove most illuminating, most useful to think about when applied on a trilogy level. After all, whether you're partial to Joseph Campbell's 17-stage breakdown or Christopher Vogler's 12-stage version or any other rubric, there are always three acts, a beginning, a middle, and an end. Departure, initiation, and... return. While earlier phases, including atonement with the father and apotheosis and others, play key roles for Luke in this film, who is still experiencing the continuation and evolution of his voyage, he and the movie are in the return act primarily. And crucially, Anakin is too, learning at last to find balance, to master two worlds, to secure the freedom to live. Quote, the hero is the champion of things becoming, Joseph Campbell writes in The Hero with a Thousand Faces, not of things become, because he is. Another thing that is, a new Death Star. The Juice! The film's opening image is this orb of evil in motion and attempt to reconstruct Palpatine's embodiment of power, control, and the dark side. Oh, Lord Vader, stopping by for an office visit. What an honor. You may dispense with the pleasantries, Commander. Tough beat for Moff Jerjrod. Jerjrod. Let's call him Jerry. Moff Jerry. Moff Jer? Tough beat for Moff Jerry. <laughs> and it appears that despite the Empire learning how to move faster in the non-Galen Erso self-obstruction era, making great progress on the deuce just four years after the Battle of Yav, when the first Death Star took nearly two decades to build, Darth Wilson mm. is not satisfied, How folks. about Darth Smith? Also no? not satisfied. Yeah. Okay. The first time around, of course, it was 
there was a lot of R&D involved, and this time they just built using the plans that they already had established. That's right. Thanks, Galen. The men are moving as fast as they can. Well, quote, perhaps I can find new ways to motivate them. And Vader's pissed, and we and the pants-shitting moth realize because the Emperor is on his way. Right away at the jump of the film, it's clear the Emperor is going to play a meaningful role in this film right aboard the Death Star, working to finish his crown jewel and working to lure a new crown jewel into his clutches. Skywalker. Quote, The Emperor is not as forgiving as I am, Vader tells old Jer. That's Which concerning. plays hilariously <laughs> and absurdly in the moment, given that Vader's presence in the films to date is basically as a mass murderer and a force-choking monster. Not basically, actually. <laughs> but that comment sets the stage really well for the film's climax, which hinges on the beating heart of Anakin Skywalker still residing somewhere within Vader's armor, while Palpatine's greed and mania has long since subsumed anything resembling humanity. Palpatine is interested in being the one with the power to grant absolution to others, but genuinely, genuinely does not believe that he needs any of it himself. He's like Voldemort or or Sauron, transformed fully into a being beyond help. Specifically because help is not something that he could ever even deign to seek. Remember Dumbledore's assessment of the raw, withering form in King's Cross and Deathly Hallows, the shard of Voldemort that had embedded inside of Harry? There is no help possible, he said. That's Palpatine. He may not have made horcruxes, but he tore his soul through murder and hate. Vader, you might say, did the same. So what then is the difference? Well, the capacity and desire to repent. It's your one last chance, Harry told Tom Riddle as they circled each other in their final dance. It's all you've got left. I've seen what you'll be otherwise. Be a man. Try. Try for some remorse. In Return of the Jedi, Vader ultimately will try for some remorse. Sheev will not. On Tatooine, meanwhile, C-3PO and R2 lead us into the plot set to unfold at Jabba's abode. Mm. They are, as when they first enter our lives in New Hope, analogs to their hidden fortress influences, our guides into this strange land, our bickering guides. And it is strange even to us who've seen Tatooine. On the Tatooine overview feature at ILM creative director Dennis Mirren spoke about how the sequences in Jabba's palace and at the great pit of Carcoon Mm. altered the perception of this desert planet. Quote, when I first saw Return of the Jedi, I had an entirely different impression of what Tatooine was like. It's just a bizarre, freaky, freaky place that was like your worst nightmare. Something that was a real surprise to me when I saw it. End quote. While the vibe might have surprised, the ambition did not. Quote, it was so imaginative, Mirren said, in a huge scale. Monster shop supervisor Phil Tippett explained that George's vision guided everyone. Quote, you knew what you were doing and how you were going to do it. End quote. The same, of course, is true for our heroes, though it requires a certain suspension of disbelief to accept that they intended everything to play out this way. (laughs) But there is, at least, a plan to infiltrate and pull Han out of that carbonite after his year-long frozen slumber. I will say, yeah, a year is a long time to leave Han there. Now, I know there were things to to take care of. Well, remember, like, Lando had to to go find him. There's stuff to do. They knew, ultimately, that Boba was taking him to Jabba. A year is a long time. I'll yeah. just say that. If I ever get frozen in carbonite, I hope that, the, that you come to rescue me faster than a year. If I told you half the things I've heard about this job of the hut, 3PO says to R2. And in the special editions, fans, of course, have seen Jabba by this point as Han is stepping rudely and ridiculously on his tail in A New Hope. 
But during the trilogy's original run, this was Jabba's first appearance in the slimy, foul flesh. We had so many other interesting critters, too. A gatekeeper droid. Gamorreans, Jason's pick for who he would be in the Star Wars universe, mm. never forget. Bib Fortuna, a rancor, a monkey lizard. It's a cornucopia of creatures, all watching Jabba smoke his hookah pipe. Real Carolyn and Killing Eve vibes <laughs> from Jabba, by the way. R2 plays Luke's message. All part of our hero's ruse. Greetings, exalted one, Luke's hologram says. And it's odd now to see Luke introduce himself to Jabba, given Jabba and the other huts, uh, RIP to the, the homie zero, history elsewhere in canon with Anakin and Obi-Wan and the Jedi Order. But introduce himself here, he does, and state his pledge to treat for Han's return. But Jabba is vile, an embodiment of almost all of the seven deadly sins. Yes. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, sloth, all of it. He's clearly not someone it's easy to bargain with. Jabba as we know, no right, As we know, of course, from Han's current state. Yes. But Luke's strategy hinges on playing to Jabba's ego, at least at first. As massive as the tale on which Han once trod. I know that you are powerful. Mighty Jabba, Luke says. And speaking of Luke, it's our first glimpse of him here via hologram, and he looks and seems transformed, reborn after the trials and revelations he underwent in Empire. He, he introduces himself as a Jedi Knight, a significant shift in how he identifies and a sign of his maturation. It's not just what he wants anymore, it's what he is. As we'll discuss more in the eight, Lucas forged a new lightsaber, his own. Soon he'll return to Dagobah to honor his promise to Yoda and Obi-Wan. He's learned the truth from Vader, and we can see and feel here right away that his entire disposition has changed. The hopeful but brash kid from A New Hope and energized but reckless young man from Empire has given way to a more self-assured, stoic, determined, almost sober man, enlightened and in tune with the Force. When Luke said in Empire that he didn't believe what Yoda had done with the X-Wing, Yoda told him, that is why you fail. Mm -hmm. It was a heartbreaking moment, but also an energizing one. A reminder of the singular power of faith. His outfit represents this progression from the cream of A New Hope to the tans of Empire to the black we see here, a visual representation of his evolution and also a primer of this film's emphasis on the pull to the dark side. It's no accident that Anakin's wardrobe palette changes in a similar fashion in the prequels. It's sickening to see how many in Jabba's proximity are clearly in some position of subservience or even enslavement. The Twi'lek... R.I.P., tough end coming here. The Klaatuinian, many of the droids will soon meet on and on the list goes. Han himself is hanging on the wall like some sort of twisted piece of art. My, as Jabba says, favorite decoration. Distressingly, it seems that 3PO is actually not in on the full plan. Genuinely believes that Luke has handed him over. Not a kind position to put him in. But at least he got off better than the poor gonk droid. Jason uh, loves uh, his little feet now. roasted. And it's not like this is a stress-free assignment for 3PO. The last protocol droid working for Jabba as 3PO learns from the monstrous and bloodthirsty, thanks to a programming mm -hmm. bug, EV-9D9 unit got disintegrated. Jabba is a horror show. And so is the company that he keeps. In case you're wondering, Sai Snoodles. Sai Snoodles, baby. The crooning Palowick singer murdered Zero the Hut in the Clone Wars while pretending to be his loving girlfriend. Watch out for size noodles. Woof. 
The only thing that Jabba seems to enjoy as much as killing for sport and eating his meals live and squirming is capturing Chewbacca. But Jabba is too vain and greedy to see the infiltrators in his mist. Leia, posing as a bounty hunter, and Lando, posing as a prison guard. They don't just don't check IDs anywhere in Star Wars. <laughs> Under cover of darkness, Leia defrosts Han. As handsome as ever, though struggling with the effects of his hibernation sickness, he's freezing and confused and temporarily blind. Who are you? She pulls off the helmet, revealing herself to us, looking fantastic. She looks great. Someone who loves you. Leia! They kiss, and it turns out that everyone is just like 3PO and really likes to watch because Jabba, ha, 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 ha. I love the, like, the idea of Jabba behind this like very thin curtain, like 10 feet away. Like, Shh. I have a hard time believing that Jabba can go more than like four seconds without burping or farting or making some sort of like squelching I don't think, noise. Can he like he definitely can't control his farts, right? The fart like he doesn't. They just come out. I think he chooses not to control them. You know, he was there. Is the point? You could smell him. He is a nearly three ton Greg. slug. Jabba's not interested in any more of Han's excuses. It's too late for that. He says, "No path to forgiveness for him. Just life as Bantha fodder." Luke's revenge ultimately is a form of redemption for all of those whom Jabba has tormented and harmed. And the moment that he enters Jabba's palace with Han and Chewie in a cell together, much like in a way, in different circumstances, but like we'll learn their meet cute occurs mm. down in a prison cell in Solo, a Star Wars story. And with Leia sickeningly forced into a bikini and a chain by Jabba's side. We can see that Luke has leveled up supremely. Yes, it's amazing. He walks in and he is operating with this quiet but also radiant, palpable confidence that he just did not previously possess. Command of his mind and disposition, as well as new mastery of the Jedi arts. He deploys Jedi mind tricks with ease, maybe with too much ease, but I mean, my stance on the Jedi mind trick uh, is well established. I, I think that this is. It's an Again, acceptable circumstance. Yes, Context agree. is everything. I agree. One of the nice moments in revisiting the film now comes from seeing Luke say with this quiet assurance to Jabba, I warn you not to underestimate my powers. And it's a nice, almost gentle flex as he's negotiating his friend's release here, but also now a perfect encapsulation of the differences and similarities simultaneously between Anakin and Luke, how they're all wrapped up together. Anakin's, you underestimate my power. Hi, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Line to Obi-Wan in Revenge of the Sith is a cry, a almost desperate plea for recognition as much as it is a scream of dark side rage. Luke's statement here, it's a matter of fact, fueled by the light. That at least some of our friends are back together, hands in cuffs, but still armed with charm. You are to be terminated immediately. Good. I hate long waits. Han, you know what? No matter how bleak it gets, he's always ready it's with great. a quip. I thought you were blind. They're doomed to death in the Sarlacc pit. In his belly, you will find a new definition of pain and suffering as you are slowly digested over a thousand years. Like Klieg inside of Shmi, as you once famously said on yes. this very podcast. <laughs> no, for him, it was newfound yeah, pleasure not, was, and joy. That's right. Euphoria. But incredibly intense. <laughs> as you slowly Indes ejaculate for what feels like a thousand that's years. Right. Indescribable feeling. <laughs> <laughs> no man has ever known a woman. No, no man. 
quite a description for what the vagina-like creature does to a man, it does, to anyone. Listen, a lot of things in Star Wars that the male characters have to contend with yeah. resembles a vagina-like shape and structure. This one is like really on the nose. But throughout this death sentence, Luke never wavers. He's never been this close to a huge <laughs> vagina like this. Luke, like Harry, offers his foe a chance for redemption. This is your last chance. Free us or die. And Jabba's like, <laughs> and he gets the ladder. Luke's plan unfolding as R2 shoots him his new lightsaber, a beautiful, stunning green, the color that has since come to be associated with in canon with a Jedi consular, those who focus on the meaning and power of the Force. There's a lot going on in this battle. But the most important thing is that Mr. Cool himself, Boba Fett, goes down like a fucking punk. Terrible. Blaster sliced apart by Luke. Blind Han bumping his jetpack and sending him into the side of the barge and then tumbling into the Sarlacc pit. Top look for our guy, Boba Fett. Ridiculous. From which, by the way, he escapes in Legend Canon. Yes, Boba lives. And the same could soon prove true in The Mandalorian. Might have been there in the covert. You never know. Leia, who momentarily will blow up the barge under Luke's instruction, who has was treated disgracefully by Jabba and aware of how he's treated others, seeks her vengeance, wrapping her chain around his neck and strangling him. Reflections of Bobby B's, they never tell you how they all shit themselves. They don't put that part in the songs line. I mean, Jabba definitely, as we were discussing in Slack, yeah. took a like 55 pound dump <gasps> as he was strangled. Yeah. I mean, listen, we have Robert Baratheon, a king, his wisdom to call upon here, as you noted. And... The other thing that we have is we have the way that Jabba's tail was like twitching and quivering. And, you know, sure, that's just like human extremities twitching if you were being strangled. But if you think of it like, you know, the, the tail flap of a hippo or something, yeah. I just, that's what I'm imagining. Like the With shit, all the shit spraying, spraying all the kids up. watching at the zoo. How heavy do you think his shits are? I suppose it depends on how frequent they are. Right. He's eating a lot and all the time. He's also, though, like oozing out of every orifice. Yeah, I feel like the ooze, it's like he's constantly oozing shit. So Jabba shit himself when he died. That's where we Absolutely shit. He's probably shitting himself all the time, yes. We did ask Zach Cram, by the way, to fact check whether slugs defecate. Yeah. Meanwhile, on a different kind of deuce, when the Emperor and his royal palace guards arrive on Death Star 2, Sheev knows what's on his apprentice's mind. That's right. And now I sense you wish to continue your search for young Skywalker. Vader pauses before replying and then says, yes, my master, with a tenderness. A vulnerability almost that we haven't heard before. Granted, it won't last for the rest of the conversation, but you feel it there. There's a longing and a motive that Chief Palpatine, our good friend, is not recognizing. And that Vader is not yet ready to recognize in himself. Chief's plan for the moment is still the one that Vader convinced him to try for an empire, attempt to turn Luke to the dark side and do it together. But he can feel that Luke has gotten strong. He knows that they'll need to recruit him as a team. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen, Darth Sidious says. One of the great indictments of Sheev and reminders of human failings. Sheev truly believed that he'd be able to bend Luke to his will and replace Vader with him or eliminate Luke if that effort proved impossible. But recall our discussions from our prequel pods. There's ample evidence, including notably in the comic Darth Vader number 25, that Palpatine, Use the dark side of the Force to create Anakin, manipulating midichlorians to make life, the secret that he told Anakin, his former master, Darth Plagueis the Wise, had learned. 
What then do the emperor's words here really mean? Is he implying that he intended from the Mm. beginning for Anakin's son to eventually rise and replace him? Is he implying something else? The shards of prophecy, as we've discussed many times, can lead one astray. And Palpatine never shied away from embedding visions in other people's minds to try to control them, to try to guide them, seems to have made the same mistake that so many others at his whim do and that so many others in other stories do, from Voldemort to Cersei to countless other examples. At least, of course, barring some sort of development in episode nine, that indicates that it all still is Stay unfolding tuned. the way that he intended. With the Falcon heading off to meet the rebels, Luke and R2 return to Dagobah. And I have a promise to keep to an old friend. It's tender from the start. Such a stark contrast to their meeting only a year ago and a movie ago. Look, I'm so old to young eyes. Yoda asks as Luke gazes at him, caught embarrassed. Yes, I do. Everything looks different to Luke now, though. His experience have reshaped his perception. He's changed and grown, and Yoda has too many times throughout his life. He's ailing, old and weak, but still able to crack a joke. We're 900 years old, you'll reach. Look as good, you will not. Hmm? He's also at peace. Soon will I rest, yes. Forever sleep. Earned it, I have. Sounds great. It's another mark of heroism and growth, a kind of personal rescue that not everyone can achieve. Those who fear death and seek to avoid it, like Palpatine, like Voldemort, are the ones who can never understand this. Those who are ready to die when it's time, willing to die to protect others, are capable of a sacrifice and a service that can change the world. Quote, this is a small His Dark Materials spoiler. It's out of context, so it won't be a huge one, but you've been warned. I have heard of people like you who keep their deaths at bay, says the grandmother's death in Philip Pullman's Mm. The Ember Spyglass. You don't like them, and out of courtesy, they stay out of sight. But they're not far off. Whenever you turn your head, your deaths dodge behind you. Wherever you look, they hide. They can hide in a teacup or in a dewdrop or in a breath of wind. He continues, not so different from Beetle the Bard. Say welcome, make friends, be kind. Invite your deaths to come close to you and see what you can get them to agree to. Luke is not ready to accept an idea like this, not just yet. Master Yoda, you can't die, he says. But Yoda has the same clarity as Harry, as the third Peveril brother, as Lyra too, as so many heroes eventually achieve. He knows it's time, knows there's nothing to fear from what's natural. Strong am I with the Force, but not that strong. He cannot become immortal, in other words. Not at least in the way that Palpatine seeks or the way that Anakin sought for Padme. Yoda will, of course, become a force spirit, a force ghost, a form of immortality for force users. But for a Jedi, there's a purity there. Becoming one with the cosmic force after leaving the plane of the living force is actually a version of letting go. Like the ghosts in Pullman's world who become one with dust again. They're not holding on to some version of hollow life. They're rejoining the energy all around them, the connection between all things. Twilight is upon me, Yoda says, and soon night must fall. I like to think that this Mm. is maybe a little nod to Nightfall, the seminal Isaac Asimov science fiction story about the transformative power of a certain type of awakening. This is the way of things, Yoda says, the way of the Force. Luke is unsure. Just as he was when Obi-Wan died in A New Hope. If he's ready to go on without his mentor, he tells Yoda that he needs his help. No more training do you require. Already you know that what you need. Then I am a Jedi. Oh, not yet. 
one thing remains. Vader. You must confront Vader. Then, only then, a Jedi you will be. This is, of course, not what Yoda told Luke in Empire when he said he mustn't go, that he wasn't ready, that he should leave his friends to die and focus on his training. But things change. So do people. It may not have played out as Yoda wanted, but Luke made his choices and received his revelations, and now he can't move forward until he and the Father atone. The Jedi strictures, as we often discuss, leave much to be desired, but right now, Yoda is living by one line of the Jedi code. There is no death, the code reads. There is the Force. But what about the rest of the code? Living by the rest means pursuing peace and knowledge and harmony, none of which Luke can truly know until he faces his father. Luke seeks that knowledge here, confirmation from Yoda of what Vader told him, of what he knows, senses, and feels to be true. Yoda, I must know. Your father he is. Told you, did he? Yes. Unexpected this is. And unfortunate. Unfortunate that I know the truth. (laughs) That's a great line. (laughs) No, Yoda says, unfortunate that you rushed to face him. That incomplete was your training. That not ready for the burden were you. The burden, of course that the cave of evil warned him of. The burden also that despite the uniqueness of this situation is universal, a core part of the human experience. At least he didn't pick up all the silver instruments in Yoda's office and (laughs) smash them. (laughs) Remember, Yoda tells him, a Jedi's strength flows from the Force, but beware, anger, fear, aggression, the dark side are they. Once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny. And of course, we've heard these words, this idea, many times before. The same warning that Yoda issued to Anakin and about Anakin so long ago. Luke, he says, do not, do not underestimate the powers of the emperor or suffer your father's fate, you will. And Yoda is speaking to Luke, but he's not speaking about him, not really, not based on what he sees or who Luke has become. He's speaking based on Anakin's failings and on his own failings as well, his regret shaping his thinking and his life. There is so much about Yoda that we still don't know, but this we do. As he lay on his deathbed, he reflected on the power of the Force, yes, but also on the power of mistakes to define your life. Learning, as Albus says in Deathly Hallows, to live with my guilt and my terrible grief, the price of my shame. When gone am I, the last of the Jedi, will you be? And while this is not an accurate statement in terms of the number of Force-sensitive beings, including ones trained as Jedi at one time, like Ahsoka, alive in the world, at this time, it speaks, of course, to Luke's central role as one of the beings who will restore balance and restore the Jedi Order. The seas for the last Jedi title, Episode 8, are here. Quote, Luke, the Force runs strong in your family. A Leia tease here, a Kylo tease as Leia's son. Pass on what you have learned, Yoda says, a Rey tease, and And a tease now for much of the sequel trilogy, given the central role, Luke's efforts, and reluctance to train the next generation of Jedi plays. But in the moment, in conveying this idea, Yoda, who never needed redemption in the way we tend to think of it, achieves it in a fashion. His job was to teach and to guide and to protect. And he believes that he failed to do so. Helping Luke means securing the future. Yoda's final words are, there is another Skywalker. And then he closes his eyes and rests, fading away, fading into the Force. As we discussed in our New Hope pod and our Empire pod, the plan was always for Luke to have a sister, but not always for that sister to be Leia. 
Thus, the numerous moments of light incest with a desire for heavy incest clearly mm. there on Luke's mind without mm. knowing it. <clears throat> Luke is about to learn the truth about who Leia is, and it's well-timed in many respects. He will learn it before, thankfully, he tries to court her again. <laughs> and he learns it while he's allowing the pain and confusion of losing Yoda to fill his heart with doubt. I can't do it, R2, he says as he walks back out to his X-Wing and Dagobah. I can't go on alone. Yoda will always be with you, Obi-Wan tells him. And Luke, to his credit, springs right into questioning. Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? You told me Vader betrayed and murdered my father. Did I say that? <laughs> Is that what I, wait, when I say that? Pull up the text. Let me Show see me the it. screenshot. Yeah, show me the screenshot. Your father was seduced by the dark side of the Force, Obi-Wan says. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader. When that happened, the good man who was your father was destroyed. So what I told you was true. From a From certain, a certain point, point of, of view, view. This is the proto-well-actually. Yes. This is, as we discussed in our Empire pod, required retooling and logic after George decided to make Darth Vader Luke's father during the course of the series, according to ample evidence that we outlined previously. But this leaves Luke in a position that many heroes face, realizing like Jon Snow, like Harry, like so many others, their trusted guides have at some point sheltered them deliberately from the truth of who they are. All right, we really want to talk about this next topic That's right. for a bit. A bit. But only a bit. That's it. Hey, Google, set a timer for two minutes. All right, two minutes, starting now. Luke, Obi-Wan says, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on your own point of view. This is true and wise, but also, let's be fair, Obi-Wan's way of rationalizing his own withholding, and now he can share. Anakin was a good friend, Obi-Wan tells Luke, sharing the story of their meeting with a few key omissions again. This is brutal. <laughs> We're changing so much. Why can't we get Qui-Gon inserted into the special edition cuts? So you really feel it here. It's like... <laughs> It doesn't, it actually doesn't make sense. You really feel it here. Incredible. You were amazed by how strong the force was in him, huh? You took it upon yourself to train Anakin as a Jedi, huh? No one told you to do either of those things. No one, no one else spotted it either. Just you? Just you, Ben? Tough look for my guy, Qui-Gon. That's like tantamount to stealing a scouting report. It's very, very tough. Oh my God. I thought I could instruct him just as well as Yoda. I was wrong. And Luke's reply here is key. There is still good in him. Ask yourself what Luke is basing this on. His exposure to Vader is little, but exposure to violence and cruelty. He cut off Luke's hand, threatened his life, destroyed Alderaan. Luke is going off what he can sense, what he can feel, and also, crucially, what he wants to believe. And that's an essential ingredient, a necessary stone on the path to redemption. Hope. Belief. Yes. Obi, still wounded by how he failed Anakin and mm -hmm. how Anakin failed him and by his first-hand involvement in a duel that turned Anakin into the rasping, evil titan we see today, says, he's more machine now than man, twisted and evil. Obi-Wan taught Anakin, mentored him, and crucially, genuinely cared about him. Yes. You were my brother, Anakin! He shouted on Mustafar. I, I loved you! you! The hurt that Obi-Wan feels, the first-hand access he had to what Anakin became and how, makes it hard for Ben to see a path back from who Anakin has become. 
or to see something other than one way forward for Luke. You cannot escape your destiny, he tells Luke. You must face Darth Vader again. Now, we can't help but compare this to the argument that Harry and Dumbledore have in Half-Blood Prince about the nature of prophecy, the ties that bind the paths forward that all lead to Voldemort. Got to, said Dumbledore. Of course you've got to, but not because of the prophecy, because you yourself will never rest until you've tried. It's the same here for Luke. He doesn't have to face Vader because Obi-Wan or Yoda said so because any chosen one prophecy foretold the return of balance to the Force. Choice leads to destiny, and Luke cannot go on without trying to save, or if he can't, trying to contain his father. But that doesn't make it easy. I can't kill my own father, Luke says. Then the Emperor has already won, Obi-Wan says, conveniently forgetting that. Uh, he didn't kill Adkin either. He left, yeah, I mean, he left, just left him sitting right there on the, on the ash screaming and crying. Maybe that was a mistake. What do you think? You were our only hope. Yoda spoke of another. The other he spoke of is your twin sister. But I have no sister. Right? Yeah. Because I, I only know one girl and I've kissed her a lot. <laughs> right? Da, da, da. Obi explains that the twins were hidden and they were born to protect them from the emperor would view any offspring of Anakin's as threats. Mm. And this is true of Shiva. As we said, he'll try to turn anything into a tool, but he's always thinking about what or who might undo him. And the threat in this sense is not just Luke as a Jedi or as a warrior. It's, it's exactly what ends up unfolding, that Vader's children would thaw his heart, mm-hmm. melting away the armor until the humanity surfaced once again. Luke, again, who in the movies has met one girl, <laughs> figures it out in a hurry. Leia. Leia's my sister. Mm -hmm. She touched my dick once. Is that fine? (laughs) She made my balls tingle. I felt my balls stretch out and move. (laughs) She doesn't wear underwear, Ben. Is that okay? Oh, my God. Ben. (laughs) I touched her ass once. How many times in Luke's life has some massive reveal wound up with him being like, I wonder if he means Ben, when this we other person I know. When we swung across the chasm on the Death Star, I felt her vulva against my thigh. And I think about it often. Wow, that's vivid and specific. It was warm, Ben. Because as as I mentioned, Leia, my sister, I now realize, does not wear underwear. Ben, where are you going? <laughs> Later, Ben, when Han slid me inside the warm innards of a tauntaun, I thought of the only other time that I had ever thought about entering the warm insides of a living being, my sister Leia. Long have I been watching him. (laughs) Masturbate often he does. (laughs) Oh, God. That's why he needs those evaporators on Tatooine. It's very strange that he doesn't ask about his mom. Weird. It seems like it's an oversight. I know he brings it up later with Leia, but it's weird here. It's weird to not be like, what about my and mom? Yeah, who's my mom? <laughs> no? Very weird. And then we get one of the toughest looks in the series from our guy, Obi-Wan, who means well and is trying to help. But here embodies all that can be wrong with the Jedi mindset and approach. Bury your feelings deep down, Luke. They do you credit. 
but they could be made to serve the emperor. What if those feelings could be made to serve good? Yes. To serve the light, to help bring someone back to the light, to serve the rebels, to serve Luke's happiness and fulfillment. Bury your feelings is the same message that Anakin got so many times in the council. Luke's ability to avoid a similar fate is a product of his humbleness in contrast to Anakin's egomaniacal obsession and ambition, but also a testament to his refusal to listen to this advice. Knowing that his feelings for his father and for Leia would be what saved him and them. But is that the Rebel Fleet's music? Is that the lemon Mm. marinara sauce scent of Admiral Akbar? I like to keep it as simple as I can with Akbar. Just a little drizzle of oil, (laughs) spritz of lemon. And you just let the meat, you want to taste the meat. That's all. I want to taste how this genius, I want to taste the nutrients in the flesh of this brilliant tactical mind. Weirdly, that's exactly what Luke had said to Leia, too. (laughs) Is that another woman in Star Wars? Mon Mothma, welcome. They have found the Death Star. They know the weapons aren't hot yet. And they know Palpy's on board. And guess what? Trap or not, most of that intel actually will prove true and essential. Not the weapons part. Tough beat for all the people on the cruisers yes. that got blown up. Once again, Sheev's getting too cute, though, reading too yes. much of his own press, buying his own hype. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. I just want to say one thing. First of all, shouts to the Maggie Rogers flowing, like, blouse of Mon Mothma. Two, Carolyn Blackiston. She does a great thing here where she's the, she gives the, many Bothans died, and then she kind of looks down. And from watching Return of the Jedi like 500,000 times over the course of my life, I somehow like created this inner narrative where like she had a romance with one of the Bothans and was like- <laughs> Yeah, headcanon. Like something, I think that there's something there. There's something more emotional than just these spies died. She, she did seem deeply affected in that moment. I, I'm telling you, something that she had something that then the Bothans are not humanoid. That's fine. So? Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, go get you, it, girl. Love is love. But I think there's something. There's something there. She was close with them. I dig this. Yeah. What do you think their story was? I, I don't know, but she she has, she clearly has a history with one or more of these Bothans and really, and, and, is, <laughs> and is deeply affected by their sacrifice because she gets caught up in the emotion and then is almost like, catches herself and realizes that she made herself vulnerable. That's right. And now she has to lead, to it, it. lead again. Go get that boffin hide, Mon. <laughs> get it, girl. An RIP to them. But protect our boy Han. Focus on that. He's leading the moon-based attack on the stolen Imperial shuttle to deactivate the energy shield. And Chewie, Leia, Luke, all, of course, volunteer to join him. They're a team. They're a family. Literally, for some of them. Though Luke cannot bring himself to tell Leia that here. Han's concern for the Falcon and Lando's care is palpable. And so is the Emperor's thirst for playing out his plan. Yes. Soon the rebellion will be crushed and young Skywalker will be one of us. As the stolen shuttle approaches, fly casual. Oh, that's says. a great line. <laughs> it's so good. I don't know. Fly casual. <laughs> I love that so much. It does really feel like what you would say in real life. You're like, look, you play it cool. Look cool if you're like trying to sneak into the bar when you're a teenager or something. I don't know. What do kids do? It's today? an older code, but so it checks old. out. I was just about to clear them. That's made me think of Rogue One. Shouts yeah. to Rogue One again. Luke and Vader at this point can sense each other. This is 
some of the coolest stuff in the movie. Luke knows that Vader can feel him too. I'm endangering the mission, he says. I shouldn't have come. Vader, he's ready to move. I shall deal with them myself. Our heroes arrive on the ground on the forest moon of Endor, decked out in their camo best. And within seconds, are embroiled in a chase with Imperial Scout Troopers. This shit just goes fucking sideways. Luke, now knowing Leia is his sister, so cuddles up close to her. Very close. <laughs> wraps his arms around her, just under the breasts, like a perv. It was a weird choice, given what he had just learned. Yeah. <laughs> it was a weird choice. I mean, it's what he knows. <laughs> the Endor sequences were shot in Northern California in the Redwood Forest on private groves set to be harvested, thus sadly giving production the ability to knock down trees, according to the Endor overview featurette. Upsetting. And this chase sequence was mapped out by Dennis Mirren using G.I. Joe action figures, tubes, and carpet, then eventually filmed after much experimentation with a steady camera ring to capture the equivalent of moving at 100 miles per hour through the trees. And hey, sometimes 100 mile per hour chases lead to separations. While Luke Han, Chewie, R2, and 3PO are looking for her, a darling young Ewok named Wicket finds Leia, and they bond, like, immediately. Yes, it's so He's like, moving. I'm about to stab you. And she's like, ah, you want, a, you want an energy bar or something? And he's like, all right, never mind, you're good. I like you. You're fun. It's great. They share a snack. Yes. They talk about hype beast helmet fashion. She's like, it's a hat, guy. Here, you can have it. He's very like into it. it. He loves it. He's very like, oh, yeah, this is better than a little bubble a scarf that I have on. It's delightful. If you don't like the Ewoks, by the way, that's fine. We are not going to tell you how to feel about them. But also look at the little babies. Look at the little fluffy belly and little fluffy round little belly. legs. Uh, round little cheeks. <laughs> I just love that they fucking, they're like nude, but yeah. they wear hats. And like does that ever It's a happen? little bit like Winnie the Pooh wearing a t-shirt but no pants. Yeah. Very reminiscent of that. But at least that's like- Part I, of the no pant bear coaching tree. <laughs> the no pant bear coaching <laughs> Sadly, while they're sharing this- Wonderful moment with the Hellman Imperial Troopers. Once again, and these guys are everywhere. They're somehow still awful, though. Yeah, they're just very I mean, bad. These guys at the- just driving to trees. Yeah. Wicket saves Leia, a sign of unity. In a BBC Newsnight interview in 1999 while discussing the blowback to Jar Jar, George Lucas, as we discussed in our Jar Jar character study, said, quote, there's a group of fans for the film that doesn't like comic sidekicks. <laughs> they want the films to be tough. Like the Terminator, they get very upset and opinionated about anything that has anything to do with being childlike. Our favorite quote. The movies are for children, but they don't want to admit that. (laughs) In the first film, they absolutely hated R2 and (laughs) T3PO. Again, George, who said this? I need, I honestly need newspaper (laughs) clippings. I need microfiche. I need screenshots. What? Like, I could be. Well, it was the 70s. Yeah. Give me, I listen, I need receipts. I can't take your word for it on this. <laughs> he continues. In the second film, they didn't like Yoda. What? This is Come insane. on, dude. Every time I read this, this remains as crazy as the first In the time. second film, they didn't like Yoda? <laughs> this is crazy. What? <laughs> In the second film, they didn't like Yoda. 
Ewoks. Now Jar Jar is getting accused of the same thing. The Ewoks <laughs> are a part of Star Wars tradition, or at least one that exists at least partially in George's mind. My- no one hated C-3PO and R2. I mean, definitely not R2. Definitely not. And certainly not like alone a, by all. Certainly not like at a volume that would have allowed George to hear it in 1977. There was just like hundreds of people writing in to Starlog magazine. Listen. To whom it may concern, Mr. and Mrs. Editor, I fucking hate these droids. They're <laughs> terrible. Everything about Star Wars is awesome except R2D crap and C3P poo. <laughs> This didn't happen. It's enough. Who said they hated Yoda? Who? Come on, man. No. They didn't do that. He did it. It's crazy. They want Luke to chop off heads. Replace both of his arms with cybernetic arms. That's it. They want to lay in a G-string. <laughs> well, they got that. Yeah, they get that up. Well, it's more like a sash thingy. What would you call that? I don't even know how to describe it. I'd rather not think yeah, about I it. Think. <laughs> I, when I first saw that, I hated it. I <laughs> Return reroom after word from our sponsors. Bitch Mode Star Wars is presented by State Farm. You know those days when it feels like problems just pop on up out of nowhere like a pesky little Ewok? Gosh, don't I. The helpful folks at State Farm do as well. Like a fender bender. You're already late. Or a thief breaking into your home and making off with your new flat screen TV. Luckily, there are more than 19,000 agents who are there for you. The Imperial Walkers are no match. Because when it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are ready to help. Find an agent today at statefarm.com. Meanwhile, on the Death Star, Vader checks in with the boss even though he's supposed to be on the road on assignment. Sent him a Google Calendar invite anyway. My son is with them, he says, of the rebel force. Notice the word choice, my son. Not Skywalker, not Luke. He's open about it. The signs of Vader's turn back to the light are slowly starting to build. Are you sure? Sheev says. I have felt him, my master. Strange that I have not. Dun, dun, dun! I wonder if your feelings on this matter are clear, Lord Vader. I wonder if you're paying any fucking attention, Sheev Palpatine. You deserve what you're going to get. Sheevy. The irony of this, of course, is that Sheev's feelings, his greed, his lust for power, are the ones blinding him and leading him to his doom. He sees only what he wants to see. And then he brags about it. I have foreseen it, he boasts, of Luke seeking out Vader. His compassion for you will be his undoing. What Palpatine doesn't realize is that by telling Vader this, he is reaching Vader's compassion, unearthing it, calling to it, unwittingly priming Vader to recognize that Luke wants to align. Right now, the only thing aligning on the forest moon of Endor is Chewie's appetite and a Paunch of rotting meat on a stick. I thought it looked fresh. Some fur was still on it. There's no refrigeration. It's just out. I mean, sure. Yeah, you're right. It looked fresh-ish. <laughs> Han, can you reach my lightsaber? 
Luke panics when they're scooped up into the net, forgetting that he can use the fucking force for some reason. Like, if there were hundreds of Jedi at this point in time, you'd be able to identify the one who couldn't sense defeated by a net behind him and got beaten by a net. Although, have to say, this might be another example of R2's (laughs) embellishment of the tale. And the fucking Jedi couldn't get out of the net. I had to get my pizza cutter out. Oh, God. Uh, the Ewoks that capture them aren't quite as eager to chat as Wicked. Luke hilariously is like, Chewie, give him your crossbow. What is Just that Just give about? it to him. It's crazy. But they're all saved by the Ewoks. Take Adoration. too long to load! <laughs> too long to load! <laughs> An actual worship of C-3PO when they see him. They're bowing, chanting prayer. It's like davening at synagogue. I know. Is this your king? And they would answer yes. Why don't you use your divine influence to get us out of this? Han asks. Awful. I beg your pardon, General Solo, but that just wouldn't be proper. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. Believe me, you'll get over it real quick. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that lasted like one second. I think that 3PO is always sort of a reluctant participant in this plot. It's mostly Luke. Yeah, and it's. I appreciate that in this moment, 3PO at least is willing to say, this is not kosher, my I know. guy. Well, if anything, it's more damning than anything because it shows that sure. at least one person there yeah. has the moral compass to understand that they are hoodwinking <laughs> these poor Ewoks. <laughs> anyway, back at the Ewok crib, things are popping off. It's including, lit, man. Including, by the way. Yeah. Han's skin, which is almost about to start crackling over the fire. I, again, I just, I think he would be delicious. Everybody's all tied up. Where's 3PO? <laughs> just on a fucking throne. Literally, on a being throne. Being carried by Ewoks. You see the little nugget, the little, little cutie. It's walkling. A, come see God. Baby get him out. Ewok. Get, the ba- get baby Ewok out. Like, God's here. Let your Ewok children discover religion on their own if they want. And it turns out someone else is already there for dinner. Leia. Where did they get, like, clothes that fit her? They were just like, well, let's quick, like, spin these up. Let's make some textile real quick for Who Leia. Who braided her hair? It's just a little <laughs> Ewoks just couldn't wait. They love to play, like, dress up. That's beautiful. Commence Luke Skywalker's war criminal actions. In this moment, Luke Skywalker, the son of his father, the apple falling directly under the tree. I see your Tuscan Raider slaughter and I raise you. Your Honor, I'd like to present for the court the following scene. 3PO, <laughs> tell them if they don't do as you wish, you'll become angry. Use your magic. He does say this in like a real serial killer it's way. Really weird, like delivery. I've gotten away with numerous crimes <laughs> and have been featured on multiple episodes of Castle. <laughs> in other words, use the belief system of this entire culture against them, manipulating them into fearing for their own spiritual well-being. Awful, because their god might. Smite them in a fit of wrath. I believe the kids say, it's not what you want. It's not what you want. <laughs> Han is over there trying to pl- 
hilariously try to blow out the torches that he's about to light the bonfire that he's no on. surprise there are about 500 quick and quiet <laughs> absolutely know. charmingly wonderful Harrison Ford meanwhile moments. Luke closes his eyes uses the force to levitate C-3PO over the Ewoks deceiving all of them striking them all dumb with fucking fear and immediately they release everyone <laughs> Do, do the ends justify the means? I get yes, the empire was defeated, sure, but a, a very, very tough look for our guy and otherwise respectful and compassionate, <laughs> humble hero Luke Skywalker. Biggs fucking rolling in his grave right now. If we could have recovered his body, it's, it's wrong what happened to the Ewoks. It's really wrong. It's, it's terrible. terrible. It's a great lament. Thank God Porkins wasn't around. Imagine like hearing. So what? How, how'd you? How'd you do? Well, they thought uh, C three PO was a god, <laughs> and so we used that. <laughs> I'd, I'd go back and and apologize to them, but their uh, moon is a wasteland now. <laughs> oh my God! Despite the condemnable way in which they secured their freedom. The ensuing fireside storytime chat is a lovely little snippet, this real injection of that fairy tale essence yeah. that George Lucas said he wanted this movie to be and to bring. But there's also something so strange about it, this aura of separation. Mm -hmm. Like when Arya watched the theater troupe turn her family history into a show in Bravos. And this, obviously, is a more faithful, well-intentioned, and kind-hearted recounting from 3PO. But for Luke and Han and Leia, it's still watching the great joys and sorrows of their life, the triumphs and trials, sped up and played back as they're still unfolding this strange distortion of their current reality. It's like Instagram stories, but for Ewoks. <laughs> and for Luke, it's a reminder of who he is and who he isn't, what he needs to do and where he can no longer stay. And so just as 3PO announces that they've been inducted into the tribe. It's, it just gets worse and worse. Morally and morally more, like, indefensible. <laughs> Terrible. Luke leaves. Timing that reinforces that while the others are coming together through nefarious means, but coming together nonetheless, he is at a remove, isolated by the work that he has to do, the truth that he's still carrying. There's a veil between him and his fellows, just like John, separated from all of his loved ones for a time by the weight of the truth that he had learned about his name. Leia goes after Luke and asks him what's wrong. And he says, just, I've been trying to fuck you for the last four years and I just found out you're my sister. No, he says, <gasps> he responds by asking <laughs> if she remembers her mother. And despite the fact that <laughs> this is Padme great. died in childbirth. I gotta say, this is one of the all-time worst <laughs> As we see in Revenge of the Sith. Prequel errors. Leia says, just a little bit. She died when I was very young, like five minutes young. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? About five minutes. <laughs> what do you remember? <clears throat> just images, really. <laughs> Feelings. The umbilical cord still <laughs> yeah. attached. Yeah. It was cold and slithery. <laughs> Tell me. She was very beautiful. Aww. Kind. 
but sad. Now, despite the hilarity of this canon incongruity, it is a yes. quite touching moment. Yes, it's easy to make fun of, but it's very sweet. And it's lovely to think that, though she doesn't yet realize that's what it is, Leia, through her own connection to the Force, can sense who her mother was. I have no memory of my mother, Luke says. And that is, of course, devastating and tragic as well. Yes. Considering how much of Star Wars hinges on secret family, we don't spend enough time talking about how tragic it is that Luke, Leia, Anakin, and Padme didn't get to be a family, didn't get to grow and learn together, didn't get to spend their lives as one. Luke tells Leia that, hey, are you sitting down for this? Darth Vader is my dad. (laughs) And the rest of that exchange is spine-tingling. He tells her that there's more and that she needs to hear it as painful as it will be. This is all heart-pounding. She is the future of the Alliance, should he perish. Luke, don't talk that way. You have a power I don't understand and could never have this great acting between these two. You're wrong, Leia. You have that power, too. In time, you'll learn to use it, as I have. In the last Jedi. Hello. The Force is strong in my family, he says, parroting Yoda's words. My father has it. I have it. And my sister, who I have kissed at least twice, has it. (laughs) Now, if they were Jamie and Cersei, it would be doggy on the spot right here. Leave a strand of hair behind. That's all. A clue for the the walkling. All fours pulling (laughs) the hair back right here. Flip the dress up. Ewoks standing around watching while eating like bark. <laughs> he saw us. He saw. Then why Imagine he, Luke saying the things I do for love. Unbelievable. Pushing a walkling off a tree branch. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yes. Terrible. <laughs> yes, it's you, Leia. Then she kind of like looks down and says, I know. Somehow, I've always known. Okay, we need to talk about this. For it's a bad. It makes it. Come on. Again, an emotionally resonant scene. It really is lovely. Like you said, the chemistry is wonderful. It's poignant. It's it really sad. Is. It's moving. If you always have known he's your brother, why'd you keep kissing him? I mean, why? It felt good. I guess I. You know, I. <laughs> it's just what she's into. I guess she discovered. More than one thing about herself in this moment. (laughs) (laughs) It is a story of discovery. It really is. Right. Leia tells him to run away. Where Vader can't sense him. That comes from fear for Luke's safety. Not any cowardice, of course, on Leia's part. She's as tough as they come. And belies the bravery that she has had and displayed throughout the course of the story. And will show so many times in the future. Many times. General Organa. Leia asks Luke why he has to go face Vader, why he can't try to stay safe and alive. And Luke's answer amounts to the quest for redemption and the certainty he has that he can help Vader attain it. Because there's good in him. I felt it, he says. And again, we have to marvel how Luke's grown. This is not the flyboy boasting about shooting womp rats. This is a brave, sensitive soul driven by courage and heart, proving The detachment doesn't have to be the path to jealousy, anger, and hate, yada, 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 as Anakin was made to believe, that love doesn't have to be the death of duty, as Eamon told John. He won't turn me over to the Emperor, Luke says. I can save him. We're wrong on that score. Eventually right, though. I can turn him back to the good side. I have to try. One more example there. 
of how Yoda's guidance took Luke far, mm. but also just far enough for Luke to recognize the choices that he then needed to make on his own. Do or do not, there is no try, Yoda told Luke in Empire. And here, Luke learns yet again that trying is what counts. It might seem like small potatoes after what Luke and Leia just shared, but the ensuing Han and Leia exchange is also deeply moving and meaningful. Han, Mr. Cool, is jealous and has indeed, since Empire, been displaying a really interesting vulnerability that contrasts with that cool guy exterior. Yes. Could you tell Luke? He asks, wanting to know why she's upset when she says, "I, I can't talk about it. Is that who you can tell? Nothing that any of them is fighting for matters if they don't have anyone to share it with. Han's vulnerability here, his open heart, is an elixir. And maybe Leia did know her mom because her next line is, hold me like you did in the stomach of the space slug. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Luke, despite Leia's pleas, has surrendered himself to the Empire, handed himself over to his father. And the moment of their meeting is heart pounding. Yes, it really is. Luke finding the courage not to cower, looking right into his father's face, his intention and everything. That is so glance. striking. It's incredible. I remember the first time I saw this movie, I just remember being like, he just seems so confident it's in the incredible. presence of Vader. And the way his eyes kind of glow. Yeah. These chips of light blue against the darkness all around them. The Emperor has been expecting you, Vader says. And Luke's reply, I know, Father. That, that gives me huge. chills. It's really huge. So you have accepted the truth. I've accepted the truth that you were once Anakin Skywalker, my father. That name no longer has any meaning for me, Vader says. Fearing the past, fearing the reminder of who he was, fearing what and who it makes him think of and long for. Luke can sense these things, knows them intuitively, innately. It is the name of your true self, he says. You've only forgotten. He is remarkably poised and assured. It's amazing. Desperate to be right but also certain that he will be. And not, again, in the way that Palpatine is certain he'll succeed, not in a way that speaks to misguided arrogance, in a way that speaks to his ability to prize the capacity for change and atonement. I know there's good in you, he says. The Emperor hasn't driven it from you fully. That was why you couldn't destroy me. That's why you won't bring me to your Emperor now. And Darth's response is to activate Luke's new lightsaber and compliment his son's craftsmanship. Your skills are complete, he says. Indeed, you are powerful as the Emperor has foreseen. Come with me, Luke says. And Vader has turned away and keeps his back to Luke here for a moment, a telling moment. Then he says, Obi-Wan once thought as you did. Turns back here to face his son. You don't know the power of the dark side. He's thinking of the last formative time. Someone gave him this choice and this chance. I must obey my master. But this, while not an agreement, is still a stride. Vader's not expressing a desire to serve the dark side or a love for it, but rather almost a forced adherence to it. He is its servant, tied to it in so many ways, including, we can deduce and we'll talk about in a second here, his life force, his actual life force. But he tore apart his life. He tore down society. He tore down the Jedi Order and helped build the Empire in the space that he left behind. So what could he think would be there for him now if not what he's pledged these intervening years to? If not the fiction that the Sith alchemy of his suit helps to maintain? I will not turn, Luke says, never tempted in the way that Anakin was, never weak. You'll be forced to kill me. 
if that is your destiny. Search your feelings, father, Luke says, repeating Anakin's own words back to him. You can't do this. And indeed, it will come to pass that he cannot. He became this in the first place because he did everything, too much, in fact, to try to save his mother and then to try to save Padme. Cutting down Luke means cutting down the product of that love, the, le- the legacy of those memories. I feel the conflict within you. Let go of your hate. Palpatine's sales pitch. Yoda's fears, but in reverse, a beacon of hope and possibility for Anakin rather than a sentence of doom. And this line is just amazing. Incredible. It is. And then that unbelievably pregnant pause. Too late for me, son. Oh, man. He believes that he is lost, believes that he has traversed into realms of evil too deep to ever really surface from. And in some ways, he's right. He's committed heinous acts, actual atrocities. Yes. Remember the key from earlier. The one way Hermione said you can stitch a tattered soul back together, remorse. He feels it, and it's clear in this scene. Yes. He just can't embrace it yet. The emperor will show you the true nature of the force. He is your master now. Then my father is truly dead. As Han, meanwhile, uses the old opposite shoulder tap in a well-timed Ewok speeder assist. How does that, how does that still work? I mean, these troopers are they're a un- fucking debacle. The training is just not good. We're a full replacement level squad it's here. It's unbelievable. In a well-timed Ewok, speeder assists to penetrate the shield generator. Brave Ewoks. Really, truly a brave Ewok act here. Vader brings Luke to the Emperor. Welcome, young Skywalker. I have been expecting you. And he dismisses his guards. With guards, the leave us. Same leave us that he said to Anakin in the opera before his Darth Plagueis the Wise story. Palpy's just as brash this time, though he no longer needs to rely on evil head turns. Miss those, though, to be honest. I'm looking forward to completing your training. In time, you will call me master. You're gravely mistaken, Luke says, remarkably bold. You won't convert me as you did my father. And Vader's shame in that moment must be supreme, mixed with this odd sort of pride for his son, but this sense of personal failure. By now, you must know your father can never be turned from the dark side. Luke tells Palpatine that he's wrong and that he'll soon be dead right alongside Luke, who's unafraid to perish if it means protecting those he loves. Perhaps you refer to the imminent attack of your rebel fleet? Yes. <laughs> I assure you we're quite safe from your friends here. Luke, despite the terrors that those words surely bring, does not wilt. Your overconfidence is your weakness, he <laughs> says. And he is right. Yes, he is. Vader turns his head to look at him as Luke says that, almost, it seems, in awe. Your faith in your friends is yours. Palpatine says. But how would he know? Yeah. He doesn't have friends. He has apprentices, minions, soldiers, those he uses and controls. No one who really has his heart or his affection. It is pointless to resist, my son, Vader says. But again, not with heat or purpose, almost with resignation. Like he's given up on believing there could be a different kind of life for him again. Sheev can't help but gloat, can't help but mock his vulnerable foe, play with Luke like food. And he reveals his plan, the trap he's laid. He released the location, allowed the spies to pick up the information. He has his best troops waiting for the rebel forces on the moon of Endor. They're walking and flying into waiting arms. Oh, I'm afraid the deflector shield would be quite operational when your friends arrive. 
It's a great one. And arrive they have. May the voice be with us, Admiral Akbar says, just as Lando realizes that they are flying directly into... It's a trap! It's a trap! She brings Luke to the window of his throne room to watch the destruction unfolding in the air. Just as Snoke will do. Yes. Last Jedi. You want this, don't you? Pats it, fingering the lightsaber. The hate is swelling in your now. <laughs> Take your Jedi weapon. Use it. I am unarmed. Strike me down. Give in to your anger. With each passing moment, you make yourself more my servant. But it doesn't look like it's going to work on Luke the way it did with Anakin when Palpatine convinced him to kill Dooku, mm. which honestly was not Easy. hard. It was not. It was like, can you hand me that cup? Hey, cut his head off. <laughs> <laughs> Pass the remote. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't. But okay. When Palpatine convinced him to protect him from Windu. Help me. <laughs> when Palpatine convinced him to eliminate the Jedi and pledge himself to the Sith. No. You the younglings. No, Luke says, knowing it might mean his life. It is unavoidable. It is your destiny. You, like your father, are now mine. Luke and his father will be aligned, it's true, but eventually in opposition to the Emperor. But Sheev, who thinks about how to divide or unite only through fear, could not predict that the rebels would find help, that the Ewoks would rise to their aid. Down on the moon, thanks to a timely assist from 3PO and R2, naturally at R2's urging, the Ewoks rise in mass to free Han, Leia, Chewie, and the rebel foot soldiers from the troopers. They are one yes. in this fight that they don't even belong in, helping those that they only just met. And again, the method of securing that alliance is not one we would endorse, but the <laughs> alliance itself is a testament to the desire to do good, yes. to help your fellows. The Ewoks proved to be brilliant tacticians. Much more on this coming up shortly in today's Jedi Temple, and they best the stormtroopers who are just a, There's an abomination. Horrendous. And the ATST Imperial Walkers, for more on those, check out the Jedi Temple from the Mando Chapter 4 pod. And proving that their native ways and understanding of their world is an edge that the Emperor would never take seriously. It's of a piece in a way with that cripples, bastards, and broken things idea that we love so much. How the overlooked, the ones that the bad guy isn't even thinking about or taking seriously or considering, can come to save the day. The aerial battle, meanwhile, is a marvel to behold. As model maker Bill George outlined in the feature at Death Star 2 Space Battle Overview, it had to be grand in order to feel fresh and new. And feeling fresh and new is a central tenet of Star Wars. Quote, philosophically, because this was the second attack on the Death Star that the audience was going to see, it had to be more complex than what you'd seen in the first Star Wars film. He described sequences that required adding ships via photo, exacto knives, panes of glass, one on top of the other, to create effects. And those ships align in the cluster of the Emperor's design, his desire to use the Death Star to annihilate ship after ship. The weapon is operational after all. When the first cruiser blows, Admiral Akbar immediately calls for the retreat. But Lando knows they will not get another chance like this. The Death Star and the Emperor's himself and Darth Vader all together, all within mm -hmm. reach. Despite all their history and all their squabbles, Lando believes in Han. He'll have the shield down. 
We've got to give him more time. I love that moment. The courage continues on the ground, too. Most distressingly, R2 is shot. This is awful. He also had toppled over earlier when the Ewoks freed them. I don't like R2 taking this much damage at R2. all. Protect R2. Why did you have to be so brave? It's a great, <laughs> great moment. Protect R2. Please. Nanta, a brave Ewok, is killed in a heart-rending moment. The Death Star is blasting ships out of space. The film cutting back and forth between ground and sky, carnage unfolding on both fronts. The Ewoks take down the ATSTs with literal logs. Amazing. Kara. (laughs) Kara, dude. Are you paying attention? Clearly not. Clearly not. Leia takes a blaster shot to the shoulder, but as Han shelters over her and the troopers approach, Leia in stealth removes her blaster. I love you, Han says in the mirror of the Empire Exchange. She says, I know. Your fleet is lost. Palpy tells Luke, whispering in his signature gloating fashion. And your friends on the Endomoon will not survive. There is no escape, my young apprentice. The Alliance will die, as will your friends. It's sickening to hear him call Luke his apprentice. It really is. And he is deliberately stoking Luke's rage, trying to get him to give into his hate, to lose himself in the dark. Good. Oh, I love that. <laughs> he says, I can feel you. He can see that Luke is panting, looking at his lightsaber. His words to Anakin. I can feel your anger. It gives you focus. Makes you stronger. That's that classic moment back in Sith, and we're getting a mirror image of it here. He really only has one move. That's it. He even tells Luke that he's defenseless, and you'll recall how a large part of sealing Anakin's fall came from feigning a defenseless posture oh, as Mace went to attack so that oh, Anakin... Anakin, no! <laughs> he's hurting me by reflecting my own lightning back at me that I'm shooting. I could just stop shooting it. But it's his fault. <laughs> So that Anakin would focus on the vulnerability and the knowledge of how to save Padme that he might lose if he didn't intervene, rather than focus on the inherent compromising nature of the choice that he was making and what it meant. Strike me down with all your hatred and your journey to the dark side will be complete. (laughs) And Luke reaches for his lightsaber with the force, retrieving it, activating it, striking with it. In one fell swoop, it is electrifying. And Vader's blade is there to meet him. His father's blade, red against green, crossing in front of Palpatine's laughing, (laughs) cackling face. This is what he wanted. A loss of control masquerading as a choice. Luke and Vader are dueling now, and everything is different than it was when they met in Empire. Luke was outmatched then, unaware of the true nature and ability of his opponent, and unaware of his own abilities. Now Luke's skill is sharp, supreme, and his focus and intent is absolute. And he's battling with a ferocity that's wondrous and a little scary to behold. It's amazing. But he's not able to operate at one speed. This duel is miraculous in part because of the balancing act on display. Luke needing to fight with all his strength to stay alive and work to save his friends, but also 
needing to display restraint oh, in this. order to not give in to his hatred. Or to harm his father. Yes, he it's needs incredible. to outclass Vader to stay alive, but he can't kill Vader if he wants to save him. Yes. It's an extraordinary delicate dance. The visuals and the stakes elevated in an extreme. Palpatine is watching an audience member, just like us, yep. as the green flashes against the red. Go against stoplight against dark. When Luke bests Vader with a move, knocking him down a set of stairs with a kick, very Obi-Wan-like kick. Yeah. Palpatine is not alarmed. Quite the opposite. He's going, good, good. Use your aggressive feelings. <laughs> Here's a fresh young thing and strong. Vader was the apprentice of legend and dream made, the evidence indicates, by Palpatine's own design. But remember, for Palpatine, it's not really the rule of two. It's the rule of one. Himself and his ambition above all. He's a creature of greed and desire. Nothing is ever enough. Vader who saw Palpatine dispense with his old apprentice Dooku at Anakin's own hands, almost for sport, just to prove a point and maneuver certain pieces around the board, mm-hmm. knows this about his master. Seen it firsthand. Let the hate flow through you, he says, at which point Luke, unwilling to let Palpatine pull the strings, turns his saber off. Oh, the will amazing not, moment. It really is. I will not fight you, father. <sighs> but when Vader charges him after walking up what seems like a hundred <laughs> stairs and attacks... <laughs> You so are unwise to, to lower your defenses. <laughs> he has to reactivate his blade, but he's using it as a shield, not as a sword. He's yes. working to protect, not harm. And that's a crucial difference. A Jedi's way. Yes. Your thoughts betray you, father. I feel the good in you. The conflict. There is no conflict. They repeat a lot of the same points and dialogue <laughs> to each other. But yes. one of the things about binaries is that at some point you run out of things to say. Yes. Vader then throws his lightsaber at Luke to t- to knock the catwalk down, which is a weird flex, but okay. It's a very strange move. This is how you know he's, he's a little washed here. Vader searches for Luke's body in the bowels of the throne room. You cannot hide forever, Luke. But this is not a child's yeah. game, and Luke isn't the one who's hiding. He's living truthfully and fully, embracing who he is. Vader is the one who's hiding from his past, from his son's insight, from the choice he needs to make. Give yourself to the dark side. Vader says, it is the only way you can save your friends. And there, for the first time, really for the first time, you allow yourself to wonder for a minute if there's a chance that Luke could give him. Not because that's what's in his heart, but because of what it would mean for the people he'd be saving. Yes, Vader says, your thoughts betray you. Your feelings for them are strong, especially for sister. What? What? (laughs) So you have a twin sister. Your feelings have now betrayed her too. This next line, this is just iconic right here. Obi-Wan was wise to hide her from me. Now his failure is complete. Brutal. Holy shit. Fucking brutal. <gasps> and as Luke widens his eyes and shakes his head in horror, we experience that real doubt now yeah. about Vader, too, in this same sequence. The way that he's talking, the things that he's saying, the hate. True hate in his voice when he speaks about Obi-Wan, a resentment that he just cannot shake. This is one of the movie's great miracles. With less than 20 minutes left in the entire film, it still feels like Vader could be the person saying these things, believing them, and acting in the way that such anger demands. If you will not turn to the dark side, he says, then perhaps she will, Leia. And here Luke emerges. Never! <laughs> Unable to stand thinking about Leia in peril. And he and Vader fight with this a viciousness. Bone-chilling part of the fight. And a savagery 
and the music kicks up to that operatic choral feel that just feels so ominous and almost like, you know, like you're watching some kind of like end of the world conflict. It's not something that you knew Luke was even capable of. It almost feels completely contrary to everything that he's just said I mean, said he, and he almost wipes away Vader in that moment where he's so dedicated to, to protecting his sister. He could easily yes. strike a killing blow here. Easily. He is, we see, clearly yes. stronger than Vader now. He is winning. And he strikes and unleashes blow after blow after blow, slicing off, finally, Vader's hand, revealing the wires within. And that's what calls him back into yeah. himself. What an amazing moment. Seeing the similarities between them, their cybernetic hands shorn off now by each other. Yeah. One more link between them. One more reminder of what they share and what Luke could be if he doesn't stay true. I remember before the prequels thinking, wow, is that how it started for Darth Vader? The Emperor emerges now laughing. He's clapping, leaving, good, good. Your hate has made you bow about it. Now reveal your destiny and take your father's place by my side. But Luke looks at his hand like his father's thinks we must imagine back to the cave of evil on Dagobah when he saw himself yes. in Vader's helmet, a machine within a machine. Is this what awaits him? Is this the fate that awaits him if he continues down this path? It can't happen. He won't let it. He hasn't won the victory he sought yet, but winning isn't supposed to be easy, nor is it that which Obi-Wan and Yoda begged him, implored him to obey. Patience. Uh -huh. He closes his eyes, breathes, and tosses away his lightsaber. The weapon that is a Jedi's life. And in this moment, even like, I don't care how many times you've seen it, you're like, wow, is that a mistake? I, I wonder. I know. Every time. Every time. <laughs> it's just like, man, that's a fucking gamble. He's handing his life over in order to try to win Anakin's life back. Never, he tells the Emperor. And for the first time, she realizes that he's just not going to be able to break this kid. He has lost. He's not going to do it. I'll never turn to the dark side. You failed, your highness. I am a Jedi like my father before me. That gives me a chill. It is a rousing moment. <laughs> oh, my God. As forceful as the shield generator Han and Leia and company have managed to destroy. So be it, Sheev says. If you will not be turned, you will be destroyed. And he hits Luke with the blast of force lighting. Ferocious. Young fool, he I says. Only now at the end do you understand. Now, these words, of course are delicious on a rewatch. Absolute yes. poetic bliss and justice. Palpatine is blasting Luke with force lightning, unaware that he is the one at the end, that he is the one who failed to understand that Luke was right to trust in Anakin's redemptive potential all along. Vader's armor, typically gleaming, is now battered and tarnished as he stands and makes his way forward to the site where Palpatine is slowly tormenting and killing Luke. Once... Anakin stood and watched as Palpatine mm. sat and Mace stood, and Palpatine used Force Lightning as part of his great farce. Now he's standing, Luke beaten down, so enraptured Palpatine is by his unlimited power, unlimited power! <laughs> that he is completely blind to the enemy at his side. You have paid the price for your lack of vision, he says to Luke, the words dripping dripping it's unbelievable. with the irony of obliviousness as Vader emerges behind him. The force lightning that's killing his son, that's killing his link to Padme, 
is reflecting off his helmet. We can see the choice playing out on his face, even though we can't actually see his face. And Luke calls out to him, Father, please help me. And as the music surges and the emperor says, Now, young Skywalker, you will die. Die. Vader who once gave in to the dark as he watched something similar but inverted play out, now finds his way at last back to the light. Once driven by his reckless, obsessive desire to save, he is now fueled by the salve that is the call to protect someone in his heart. No, he says. No! Lifting Palpatine, taking the Force lightning into himself and throwing the Emperor down into the reactor shaft where he explodes. Now, does he die? Again, we know that Palpatine's going to be yeah. in The Rise of Skywalker, so could that reveal be just that he lived as yeah. Maul and others had who fell down a reactor shaft? You know, Luke squirted out of the shaft in Maul, Empire. I mean, Maul, Maul fell down a shaft ha- cut, cut in half. half. So that's possible. So that, And then he had to, like, build a whole bottom leg set in a, on a trash planet. That's right. Complete with like a poop chute yes. and a pee tube. That's right. You think that's easy? <laughs> it doesn't sound it. Could Palpatine come back as some sort of force spirit or projection? Could he come back as a clone mm. given Sheaf Palpatine's affinity for all kinds of cloning efforts? Could he come back in another form, his spirit reborn? We will find out soon, regardless of what the answer is, here in this moment. He's part of a proud fantasy tradition, the maker undone by his creation. Like the children of the forest torn asunder by the white walkers they made or the first Peveril brother slayed by the death stick he requested. A master here beaten by the apprentice that he turned. Luke goes to his father whose breathing is rasping and broken, not the rhythmic hum that we're used to. Luke was already kicking his ass, and perhaps Anakin, who nearly died following his duel with Obi-Wan on Mustafar, had simply incurred too much damage, slowed, aged, ready to reach his end. Perhaps his already broken body could, couldn't withstand the injection of force lightning that lifting Palpatine brought, or perhaps as a popular theory that we discussed at length in our Sith pod goes, Palpatine's death extinguished Vader's life force as well, although if Palpatine is still alive, that would seem to negate that particular theory. Yeah. I think that for now we should just say he's yes. he's dead because that's where I liked we are that in this one. film. Yes. <laughs> and if then pa- we'll reassess if we need to. If Palpatine did in fact keep Anakin alive by performing some sort of Sith magic that transferred Padme's life force into him, explaining the intercut nature of the scenes of her death and his rebirth in Sith, and also the from a certain point of view nature of Palpatine's comments about Anakin being the one to kill her, That magic cut off when Palpatine died, the way a spell ceases when its caster is killed. Perhaps life force theory aside, the Sith alchemy Palpatine put in a Vader's life-sustaining suit severed when the Emperor fell, ceasing the suit's ability to keep Vader alive. And perhaps it was simply time to let go after finally working his way back to the light, sacrificing himself to protect someone else, embracing death so that Luke might live. Is Anakin Skywalker capable? Truly capable of redemption. Is anyone who's done the things that he's done? This is going to be something that we actually continue to discuss when we do our Darth Vader character study, but it is a question worth asking and considering seriously. Wherever you land, more than one thing can be and, and is true at once. Anakin Skywalker made all the wrong choices, but 
he also found the strength to make the right one again. He sought to atone, if not necessarily to be forgiven by all and for all. He fulfilled in a manner of speaking, and certainly with great delay, the Chosen One prophecy, restoring balance to the Force. And he did so, crucially, with Luke's aid, the best type of prophecy fulfillment. It looked nothing like anyone expected, other than maybe Qui-Gon. More than one person made this so. More than one interpretation now fits. Maybe you think that Luke is the Chosen One, and if so, that's okay. The truth is, much like the prince who was promised, the letter of the tale does not determine the future. The choices that all parties make does. And they made those choices together and for each other. Luke, help me take this mask off, but you'll die. Nothing can stop that now. Just for once, let me look on you with my own eyes. Luke reaches back and unlatches the helmet and there's that hissing sound releasing the air releasing his his life it's a shocking sight his ruined face but also a human face a man a father a person who made mistakes and then chose right too late to undo his wrong but still in time to save the galaxy luke's faith in his own soul with a helmet that kylo luke's lost student will one day inherit in luke's hands anakin smiles now he says looking at his son go my son leave me no, you're coming with me. I'll not leave you here. I've got to save you. You already have, Luke. You are right. You are right about me. Tell your sister you are right. And then he closes his eyes. Father, I won't leave you. But as the tears flow down Luke's face, Anakin takes his final breath at peace at last. I love the the image. that It always makes me chuckle like Luke and Darth Vader like stumbling through the Death Star and all these Imperials running around and and you're just like, well, that's weird, but fine. (laughs) They just are like running (laughs) I know. It's incredible. (laughs) It's amazing how quickly the Empire falls apart. (laughs) In The Two Towers, Sam tells Frodo, quote, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. For Luke here, there is, of course, a feeling of sincere despair, all that he's gained mixed in with all that he's lost. But for Anakin, at last, the darkness has passed. It doesn't mean that we should forget that the darkness was ever there. In George Lucas on the Force 2010 and absolutely fascinating featurette that captures George's force lesson for the Clone Wars writer's room during that show's production. George sits and reads from his own notes when he was creating the force, thinking about what it was, what balance means, what straying to one side costs. And among the insights he provides is this, quote, the only way to overcome the dark side is through discipline. The dark side is pleasure biological and temporary and easy to achieve. The light side is joy, everlasting and difficult to achieve. A great challenge. Must overcome laziness, give up quick pleasures and overcome fear, which leads to hate. You wonder where Yoda gets it. Anakin overcame his fear at last and Luke refused to give in to his and together they saved not only the galaxy, but Anakin. 
The Rebels destroy the Death Star from within this time. Lando and Neem Num in the Falcon and Wedge Antilles zipping out from its depths. Luke steals a shuttle and escapes just in time with his father's body. Leia on the ground below can sense that Luke is okay. I can feel it. You love him, don't you? Han says again, adorably vulnerable. Oh, it's not like that at all, she tells him. I mean, yeah, we kiss. <laughs> but he's my brother. <laughs> oh, God. If I were Han, I'd love... Some follow-up questions. Yeah, there is, I've got a lot of questions then. Like, why do you keep kissing him? Then? Yeah, if that's the case... But instead, they just kiss and celebrate with the Ewoks, which just feels right. Yes. As the Force theme surges, Luke lights Vader's funeral pyre, sending him to rest, looking into a very different light and out a very different future than when he gazed into the suns on Tatooine. Across the galaxy, the legions celebrate the Emperor's fall. The full victory awaits, of course. Our friends hug and laugh and dance, their joyous sight to behold. For Luke, it's the culmination of this phase of the hero's journey but just the beginning of his life in a new type of galaxy, the start of his journey as a Jedi. In the Harrison Ford interview featured on Return of the Jedi Special Edition, Ford offers up a hypothesis. I love this. Quote, I always thought the character Luke Skywalker was George. George growing up, George facing a conflict and the need to prove himself. And he did, powerfully. And so you'd see the character of Luke Skywalker change from one film to the next and develop in much the same way George was developing. Now, as Luke looks over, he sees Obi-Wan's force ghost, his mentor. He sees Yoda, his other guide. And then he sees Anakin, his father, young and whole, restored to his former self before he lost his way, before he lost the light. Anakin smiles, and so do Luke and Leia, their family together in a fashion at last. Great movie. It's a good movie. I really enjoy it. Jason? Yes. It's a trap! It was a trap. But you have to go in anyway. So please gather the Padawan learners, head to the Jedi Temple, teach us everything we need to know. I love them. About Ewoks. I fucking love them. Ewoks, the heroes of the Battle of Endor, are easy to overlook, literally easy to overlook, and underrate. Standing about three feet tall, carved in fur with pug noses and dark eyes, they appear like large teddy bears. Their cutesy appearance, however, belies their ferocity, ingenuity, and mastery of their woodland environment. They're a Stone Age civilization, hunting and making war with spears, bone clubs, and rocks. And yet, they're surprisingly advanced in certain respects. They're adept at designing traps, ballistic weapons, catapults, net traps, log deadfalls, and so on. They're curious and quite observant and fast to adapt to new ideas. For instance, they construct gliders out of wooden animal skins And you have to imagine that the idea for this came from contact with more advanced cultures. With these seemingly primitive weapons, the Ewoks helped bring the Empire to its knees. Hell yeah. But of course, there were some who hated it. (laughs) I mean, there always are. Star Wars fans are passionate, fervent. And some, perhaps those who were teens or young adults in 1977, found that their tastes and expectations had matured. By the time Return of the Jedi hit theaters in May 1983, to sum up the criticisms, the Ewoks were a cynical merchandising play. There was no way they could possibly have been effective against Imperial troops, and Ewoks were originally supposed to be Wookiees, and Wookiees are cool, not like Ewoks. (laughs) Lucas did repurpose early ideas he had for the Wookiees for the Ewoks scenes. A May 1974 rough draft of Star Wars contained a set-piece battle in the forest of gargantuans, pitting the rebels and the primitive 
tree-dwelling Wookiees, W-O-O-K-E-E-S, including a Prince Chewbacca, against an Imperial outpost. The Wookiees used timber and stone traps to take down Imperial tanks. An important turning point in the battle happens when Wookiees manage to hijack one of these tanks. Here's an excerpt from the script. Vine jungle, outpost perimeter, Yavin. The pilot pops out of the hatch and sees two rows of Wookiee warriors holding reflective shields. They form a circle that totally encompasses the massive air tank. Han shouts a signal to a group of Wookiees in another tree, and they cut loose a bent limb, which is attached to a noose around the tank's hatch. The noose instantly tightens around the pilot, and he is plucked from the tank and suspended 50 feet in the air. In an equally swift move, Starkiller, Luke Starkiller, that is, drops a small gas grenade into the open hatch. It explodes and engulfs the tank in a gray mist. The Wookiees let out a joyful yell and charge the tank. Han yells at them to stop, but several make it to the conquered craft before the gas cloud dissipates. They are felled by the fumes. Starkiller shakes his head. Then after the smoke clears, jumps on the back of the immobile tank. In the end, the forest battle was too ambitious for A New Hope, and the Wookiees became the singular Wookiee, Chewbacca. And instead of being Stone Age and primitive, Chewie, of course, became an experienced pilot and Han's running buddy. When it came time for Jedi, Lucas was eager to dust off these shelved ideas, but he would need a new alien race to carry them out. So, as he told film critic Leonard Maltin in a 1995 interview, he took the Wookiees and, quote, cut them in half and called them Ewoks. (laughs) It's a pithy line. But actually, George's instructions to ILM's art and design team proved difficult to carry out. Quote, the first thing George said was they're furry little guys. They carry spears and they run through the woods. Concept artist Joe Johnson says in the making of Return of the Jedi, quote, we did 300 drawings of little furry guys running through the woods. A lot of them were troll-like or gnomes and all kinds of things. George rejected these, urging his team forward with the C word, cute. Make them cuter. Another hundred or so sketches followed, and Johnson would continue, quote, we found that if we added ears to them, they became much more expressive. Like maybe Yoda. No. Maybe some of them had cute little faces, puppy dog faces. So what do you think George did? Quote, he picked the puppy dog one and said, that's looking pretty good. Do some more of this. Johnson went back to the drawing board, creating a concept so cute that it looked like, in his words, a teddy bear picnic. It had little ears and was wearing a bonnet. George came in the next day and said, that's it. We'll kill him with cuteness. Wow. In the end, 66 actors from England and America, ranging between 2 foot 11 and 4 foot 8, cast to bring the Ewoks to life. Base pay was $298 per day, $1982. The work, as you might imagine, was arduous. Quote, the costumes were like saunas said Debbie Lee Carrington, one of the Ewoks, in a 1983 People magazine feature. Carrington, who passed away in 2018, had a long career appearing in projects as diverse as Total Recall and Dexter. The costumes went through a fair bit of iteration, and early on-location shooting tests turned up a host of issues. Quote, We realized immediately that you couldn't expect a human being to wear those costumes. Their eyes misted up instantly. Jedi director Richard Markhan says in the making of, the solution to that problem was simply to punch small ventilation holes in the costume. Additionally, the initial Ewok suits conveyed movement strangely. Work was done to better articulate the costumes, and a choreographer was tasked with helping the actors refine their movements. They were given certain gestures and body language ideas and practiced in front of mirrors. The Ewok masks did not have the ability to blink or move their mouths, and this frustrated Lucas. 
This drawback ironically provided an opportunity for then 11-year-old actor Warwick Davis, the part of Wicket, the Ewok Hooper friend's Princess Leia, who was originally supposed to be played by R2-D2 actor Kenny Baker. But Baker was felled by a rancid chili dog. Oh, who among us? <laughs> Warwick took over and wowed Lucas with his expressiveness and ability to animate the Ewok mask using his tongue. Absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Quote, I was fortunate to find Warwick Davis, Lucas says in the making of. He, quote, was so expressive in his suit and had such a personality in the way he walked and in the way he carried himself. He was 100% into the character. Okay. Now, I've talked a lot about the war crime committed against the Ewoks by C-3PO and Luke when the two conspired to manipulate the Ewoks by presenting the droid as their god. Mm -hmm. But the aftermath of the battle, if one decides on a hard sci-fi interpretation of Return of the Jedi... It was likely much worse. In 1997, astrophysicist Curtis Saxon wrote an influential blog post titled Endor Holocaust. He found that, quote, the circumstances at the end of Return of the Jedi lead inevitably to an environmental disaster on the Endor moon. The explosion of a small artificial moon in low orbit sends a meteoric rain onto the Ewok sanctuary on a scale unmatched. Since Endor formed through either direct atmospheric injection of small particles or showers of ejecta from large impacts, the atmosphere will be filled with smoke and fallout, causing a gargantuan nuclear winter effect. I remember reading about showers of ejecta in some of the late Ron Weasley chapters. Hello. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. Check out Ender Holocaust. It is thoroughly researched. Like, it's not a joke. Like, it's thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly researched. Listen, not to be unkind. Yeah. Stuff like this happens in Star Wars all the time. I mean, people die in the millions. All All the the time. time. Snoke's battleship. Two million fucking people on it. Got torn in half. All the time. That was all the time. Anyway, the result, according to the study, would be mass extinction. In closing, while partially exonerating the rebels who he notes... We're kind of a pig in a poke here. They didn't really have much of an option. They needed to stop the Death Star. Saxon writes, quote, all Ewoks would have been been better off if the tribe which made contact with the rebels continued their original plan of killing and eating the commando team's leaders. Pretty fucking bleak stuff. Extraordinarily grim. (laughs) How's that for killing them with cuteness? (laughs) Kill them with cuteness. In 2016, this debate resumed when planetary scientist Dave Minton published a white paper in which he calculated, quote, (laughs) a Death Star mass ball of fragments will leave behind a 700 kilometer diameter crater. This is almost four times larger than the Chiculub crater in Mexico that is associated with the dinosaur extinction. End quote. This thesis was so persuasive that Lucasfilm (laughs) had to respond because as we all know, Star Wars is a fucking movie for kids and you can't have the teddy bears wiped out. Protect them. A few months after Minton's paper, the official Star Wars Twitter account tweeted a still from Endor's victory celebration with text that read, did you know? 
The Rebel Alliance fleet deployed shields and tractor beams to prevent Death Star 2's meteoric debris from devastating Endor's forest moon. <laughs> End quote. Likely story. Likely story. <laughs> Will the retcons never cease? And again, if they're not going to cease, just put Qui-Gon into the original trilogy. Incredible. Yeah. Protect the Ewoks. Protect them. Mal, hmm. the force runs strong in your podcast. Pass on what you have learned. Try. Roll like BB-838 of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. Lightning round style. You go first. Number one. Yes. As we discussed earlier, Luke has turned to another director after working with Irv Kirshner for Empire Strikes Back. He ended up choosing Mark Ann, but only after a few more famous directors failed to pan out first. Lucas was in something of a bind <laughs> after Empire. He had clashed with the Directors Guild because at the beginning of that movie, his name appeared in the Lucasfilm logo, but Kirshner's didn't because George didn't want anyone's actual name to appear until the end credits after the final scene. According to a rundown from CBR.com, that was against Guild rules because they wanted to ensure that their directors received full recognition for their work. Instead of altering his opening format, though, Lucas paid a fine and quit the Directors Guild. What a fucking wild. <laughs> he hated it. What a wild man. Around the same time, in a completely separate scenario, <laughs> Lucas's buddy, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, of the famous It'll Be Great, Stormtrooper yeah, Exchange, ran afoul of the guild while working on Poltergeist, a film that he wrote and produced, after reports that That's he excessively right. micromanaged the director. Really, he did. Woo! Those separate incidents ended up mattering because Lucas reportedly wanted Spielberg to direct Return of the Jedi. And what a choice that would have been. In the couple of years before and after 1983's Jedi release, Spielberg worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark, Poltergeist, E.T., and Temple of Doom. He was right in the middle of an incredible run of movies. But the two directors' feuds got in the way. Quoting here from a 2015 piece from Sean Witzke on Grantland. Great website. Great fucking website. Quote, George Lucas asked Spielberg to direct a third Star Wars film, then called Revenge of the Jedi. Due to Lucas's decision to drop out of the DGA, as well as Spielberg's clash with the guild over Poltergeist, Spielberg was barred from working on the film. Lucas pursued David That Cronenberg, would have been fucking nuts. I know. Who says he barely finished his phone call with Lucasfilm before being nixed. <laughs> as well as David Lynch. Those That's an all I'd love to see. Let me just see. say, Cronenberg and Lynch. Amazing. I would love to see it. Those are insane choices. Imagine, like, what Jabba would look like with David Cronenberg directing this body horror I mean, we're we're taking down the Imperial Walkers with Ewok intestines at that point. I know. My God. The quote continues, Lucas ended up selecting Eye of the Needle director, Richard Markant. Number two. Ah, did you catch that small title change? Revenge of the Jedi, not Return. The switch from Revenge to Return came so late in the production process, in fact, that posters, merch, and even a teaser trailer— came out with Revenge in the name. You can even watch the latter on YouTube on the official Star Wars channel and buy Revenge posters online. And while it's not totally clear why Lucas made this change, as it is with so many of his changes, <laughs> there are a few long-standing rumors. One lasting myth is that he changed it not to confuse audiences because of the Star Trek movie at the same time, which was originally titled Vengeance of Khan. Though Starlog magazine reported in 1982 that Star Trek decided to change their name first to The Wrath of Khan. A more plausible possibility is that George wanted to soften the title because he felt that the Jedi don't seek revenge. 
Others suggest that this was actually the title at first, only Lucas changed it for a bit because Lawrence Kasdan told him that Return was, quote, too weak. And then he eventually went back to his original idea. Either way, as we know, quote, Revenge eventually found itself in the final name of a Star Wars film in episode three, Revenge of the Sith, which fits both possibilities because Sith certainly pursue revenge and they aren't weak in that movie at all. Weak. You are weak. Number three. Here's another way in which an early idea for Jedi influenced the prequels. In early drafts for this final movie in the original trilogy, the final confrontation between Luke, Vader, and the Emperor was set to take place not on a ship, but on Had Abaddon, a city that made up an entire planet and served as the imperial capital. That idea, of course, would translate to Coruscant for the prequels. Moreover, Had Abaddon's lower levels were meant to contain the Emperor's throne room. Hello. Which was surrounded by a lake of boiling lava. Hmm. Anakin in a lightsaber duel. Mustafar, anybody? Sounds familiar, and indeed, it did inspire the Mustafar duel in Revenge of the Sith. This shift would have altered Palpy's death scene a bit, too. One draft, which is available online. Air quotes, death. (laughs) One draft, (laughs) which is available online, reads of the ending, quote, the Emperor turns around to see Lord Vader flying at him. The lightning bolts around Luke disappears. Vader hits the Emperor, knocking them both into the fiery lake of lava. The hideous (laughs) screams of the Emperor are soon muted. Luke struggles to his feet and stares at the spot where his enemy and his father disappeared into the cauldron of molten rock. Insert Hayden Christensen's screams of anguish here. No! Number four. Let's stick with the early trailers and posters for the film for a moment. Eagle-eyed fans will note that the marketing materials for Jedi showed Luke with a blue lightsaber as opposed to the green one he would wield in the film, for which he'd receive praise from his father. Good job on your art project, son. <laughs> Actually, it is a fine piece of work, yeah. and a deleted scene from the movie showed Luke completing his new saber after he lost his father's fighting on Bespin. As we noted in our Jedi Temple for the Empire pod, Luke found some of the materials for this one while searching Obi-Wan's hut on Tatooine. And as the gang made their preparations for Han's rescue, he retreated to a cave to pull all the pieces together with the Force. Why the post-production switch from blue to green? At that point, a new lightsaber color in the Star Wars universe, according to Lucasfilm Story Group creative executive Pablo Hidalgo in a 2017 Vanity Fair interview, quote, the intent was the lightsaber was going to be blue. In that universe at that time, as far as anyone knew, lightsabers were red or they were blue. But, Hidalgo explained, there hadn't been a lightsaber fight in full daylight before. Vader and Kenobi dueled in a dark corridor of the Death Star while Vader and Luke dueled in the darkness of Cloud City. Early in Jedi, though, Luke needs his lightsaber during Han's rescue, and they realized they needed to change the color so that the audiences could see the blade against the bright backdrop of the blue sky and golden sand. Kind of how Sam L. Jackson got a purple lightsaber from Mace Window so he could pick himself out among the crowd on Geonosis. As Hidalgo said, quote, as much as we like to mythologize why it's green and what that all signifies, sometimes there are very pragmatic filmmaking reasons behind these things. Number five. That initial lightsaber scene causes the death, of course, of Jabba the Hutt. One of the more memorable and repulsive characters in the yeah. series. Roger Ebert, in his initial review, called Jabba, quote, a cross between a toad and the Cheshire cat. He wouldn't say that to the crime lord's face, though. I don't know. Jabba let Han walk on his tail. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, Jabba Desilogic Tiore. Or J.D. Tiore, if he was an MLB player. <laughs> 
DH. DH. Gets you 40 home runs, but strikes out 250 times. Number 604, J.D. Tiure. <gasps> What's his walk-up music? Um, That's probably some Max the, Rebo shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's the tune. A.K.A. Jabba the Hutt, A.K.A. His Excellency Jabba Desilogic Tiore of Nalhuta. Weird planet. Eminence of Tatooine. 604 years old, 13 feet tall, and a ample 2,990. I like that they rounded down for him. Come on. You know he's over three, but he doesn't want to talk about it. You sweat out in the desert on the pleasure barge. That was a final weight. <laughs> Getting his exercise in. A true giant in both stature and in the criminal underworld. Jabba's rise from local crime lord to more ambitious power player came in the usual way. He directed his underlings in matters of smuggling, spice dealing, piracy, and other spacefaring concerns. And over time, gained more and more control over the Outer Rim's dealings, particularly in Tatooine, which, as we've discussed, is out of the way of imperial bureaucracy. This lack of institutional checks and balances essentially gave the Hut Lord free reign on the planet, which he used to enrich himself further by enacting severe water taxes from local moisture. Farmers. Remember, when people thought he wanted it to bathe, Obi-Wan was like, I know Jabba, and he does not believe in personal hygiene. That's wrong. Jabba even went official at some point, such as when he joined the Grand Hawk Council and when he negotiated with Vader himself to provide vital resources to the Empire after the Battle of Yavin. Learn more about the crime syndicates, of which Jabba was a part, in Jason's The Jedi Temple on our solo A Star Wars yeah. Story pod. After Jabba's death by chain, though, his criminal empire went with him. As much like in the cases from real-world leaders, nobody could figure out who would assume his chair as the successor. With many of Jabba's slaves freed and his droids let go following his death, the infrastructure to run the operation at the same scale as before disappeared as well. And, you know, some of the trusty family members like old Zero had already kicked it. They're out of there. Jabba's reputation took a beating after death. As a leaked hollow recording of Leia choking the big slug to death tarnished his fierce legacy. Release the choke tape! <laughs> Though it earned Leia the truly iconic nickname, Hut Slayer. Fuck yeah. From the grateful Nyctos who had been freed by their master's death. No word on what befell Jabba's son, dear sweet Stinky. Number six. Lest you go feeling too sorry for Jabba. And why would you? Oh my God, imagine? What? <laughs> <laughs> why would you? However, behold the tragic tale of the Rancor, whose death at Luke's hands leads eventually to Jabba's death after it enrages the Hut Lord. For the scene in which Luke battles the beast that creased a mix of puppetry and high-speed camera work, and its noises, according to Ben Burt in The Sounds of Star Wars, were recorded growls of his neighbor's dog, Max, just pitched lower to reflect the rancor size. The rancor indeed looks big and scary, and is even larger than Jabba himself, with the average member of the species standing 16 feet tall and tipping the scale at north of 3,500 pounds. The rancor is a carnivore, but by its nature, it's a friendly creature, and could even be domesticated by the right people. The Night Sisters, for instance, cared for rancors. Jabba was not that right person. His rancor named Patissa came to the palace as a birthday gift from steward Bib Fortuna, but Patissa grew vicious and angry over time, presumably because it spent all its time locked in a fucking dungeon yeah. and was forced to eat people for sport. Yeah, how would you like it? Nobody was more upset by Patissa's death than Malakili, the bare-chested human man who looks despondent upon his death. That's because Malakili... A Corellian slave was Jabba's beastmaster, and he hoped one day to set his rancor pal free and escape together. But you listeners might be as upset as Malakili too, now that you've learned of Patissa's tragic backstory, especially once you learn 
what Batista means. It's a Huttese term for friend or buddy. Protect your pets. Come on, Jabba, you fucking jerk. Jabba was very, This is very upsetting. Jabba was a piece of shit. I wish that Patissa had lived long enough to do to Jabba what Ramsey's dogs did to him. That would have yeah, felt right to it's me. It's awful. Number seven. The early scenes in Jabba's domain also include several notable changes from the original 1983 release to the newer versions. We've talked before about Lucas's tinkering over the years. Once or twice we've mentioned it. From all the Han Greedo changes in The New Hope, McClunky! McClunky! To the Indian's <laughs> replacement of the Emperor and Empire. And Jedi has its own plethora of alterations, both minor and more important. In Jabba's Palace, the Max Rebo Band's yeah. song changed from Lopty Neck to Jedi Rocks. And the band ballooned in size from three, the That's original right. members were Max Rebo, the treacherous Size noodles. noodles. You gotta watch out for that motherfucker. And Drew B. McCool. Swallowed all the way from there to 12. As Jabba and company make their way to the Sarlacc pit, meanwhile, a new herd of CGI'd banthas appear in the desert. Dune Sea. Later on, when Vader makes the fateful decision to save his son and throw the Emperor down the reactor shaft, in the original version, he does so without speaking. In newer versions, after having listened to binge mode, he mutters and then yells, No! (gasps) <gasps> to call back to his no <laughs> at the end of the prequel trilogy. When Luke takes off Anakin's mask in the newer versions, meanwhile, Annie's eyebrows digitally removed to reflect their burning off on Mustafar. Most controversial are a few changes at the end. New shots were added of celebrations on other planets, like Naboo, where we hear a familiar-sounding voice shout, we so free! <sighs> now that is not meant to be Jar Jar, but rather a random joyful Gungan. The memorable and delightfully walked victory song. This is a travesty. This is a fucking travesty and an outrage. I agree. Yub nub, eat chubba wub nub. Eat chubba wub nub. (laughs) That's all I have to say. Justice for fucking yub nub. That Ewok victory song, yub nub, is gone. Replaced, not in our minds, not in our hearts, but in the film itself, by an instrumental score, for which the entire pacing of the final moments of the film are redone to Awful. fit the new tempo. And then, of course, oh, an all-timer here. Hayden Christensen, after an appearance for the ages, a performance for the ages in the prequel, <laughs> now appears forever in the original trilogy as Anakin's force ghost in place of Sebastian Shaw, who serves as Vader's unmasked face. Alas, much to my personal chagrin, yeah. Ewan McGregor has yet to be edited in as Obi-Wan. Justice for Yub Nub, each up a Wub Nub. Number eight. Those final galactic celebrations were warranted after the death of the Emperor and Vader and the explosion of Death Star 2, but the war wasn't over just yet. As we discussed on our Mandalorian Chapter 4 pod, the galactic concordance that marked the official end of the Civil War didn't come for another year after the Battle of Jakku, the disastrous for the Empire. Battle of Jakku, although it turned out just how the Emperor wanted. In the interim... After the defeated Endor, chaos reigned as various Imperial administrators and military men who weren't on the doomed Death Star grabbed whatever power they could, forming loose bodies called remnants that didn't actually have any power beyond military might. The lack of a succession plan was intentional, of course, given Palpy's rule of one ideology, but it created all sorts of confusion. In Coruscant, for instance, Grand Vizier Mazamata, the highest-ranking remaining political leader, called himself the new acting emperor, but everyone was like, whatever, bro. 
Nobody believed him, even the other Imperials. Moreover, the Empire had derived much of its strength from a united front in sheer overwhelming numbers. So the now splintered organization crumbled much easier than before. Filled with confidence and recruiting new allies with ease, the rebels liberated planet after planet, system after system, defeating one Imperial remnant after another as the remaining despot wannabes fell. Ultimately, Gallius Rax's plot to fulfill Palpatine's ultimate legacy failed on Jakku, and Emperor in name only Masamata signed the final peace treaty with Mon Mothma to formally end the Civil War. On to the First Order! Jason? Yeah! What I told you was true. From a certain point of view. From a certain point of view? (gasps) Every episode. Ben! We're gonna (laughs) honor the character who rallied the troops, advanced the cause, saved the fucking galaxy. Hell yeah. Ever heard of it? And today, the winner of our medal bravery is... Of course, Luke Skywalker. He did it, folks. Having now leveled up his force powers to Jedi Knight status, he successfully executes a rescue mission to extract Han from Jabba's wall. He keeps his promise to Yoda, returning to Dagobah, and receives full clarity that Darth Vader is his father and that Leia is his sister. Oh, your insight serves you well, as does your penis. (laughs) Well, he does commit a war crime. Let's be honest about it. It's By not tricking great. the Ewoks into thinking C-3PO was one of their gods. Just talk to them. And subsequently dragging the tribe into a battle they had no stake in. He at least did so to save Han from being burnt alive for dinner and also to save the galaxy from the clutches of the Emperor. He ultimately refuses to give in to the dark side of the Force and instead turns his father Darth Vader a.k.a. Anakin Skywalker, to the light. And by doing so, he, and we cannot stress this enough, That's right. saves the galaxy. Like, literally. It's pretty big. He got to look his father in the face for the first time, and his dad even says he's proud of his number one boy. I'm proud of you, son. You are right. <laughs> you are right. <laughs> also, this... You know, it's more of a lifetime achievement yes. award here for Luke than strictly a Return of the Jedi note, but still highly relevant and worth stressing. Though he may have tried, That's right. though he may have wanted to, though he may have felt the fire and the tension in his loins, That's right. he did not actually fuck Leia, who again turned out to be his sister. He trusted his feelings, but not that much. (laughs) Here's to Luke Skywalker. That's right. Well, friends, now our failure is complete. Just ask Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are to hop back into the speeder, continue to explore the galaxy, and that you'll join us again next time. Until then, remember, soon will we rest, yes. Forever Forever sleep. sleep. Earned it, we have. Yawa. Yawa. Chicken, 
Go to chat to glow up. I lay lap to know 